Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. G'day world, this is the Sniper of the Skies, Robbie Eagles, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome To keeping it strong style The ace of podcasts On the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review the quarterfinals of the NJPW World TV title tournament. Both Rumble on 44th Street shows preview Battle Autumn in Osaka and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. And clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, we had a Halloween yesterday. How was your Halloween? Um, I'm sorry to tell you, Halloween was not yesterday. Yes, it was. No, it was not. For the little kids, it was. (laughs) Not for grown folks. Okay. Halloween was Saturday the 27th at Mixer's. (laughs) only at mixers only at mixers and you missed it (laughs) Mm. what 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 down at the mixers you know i don't know if i can go into all the details of everything that uh (laughs) transpired on that fateful evening but um 
you know, no, actually we had a lot of fun. We had a huge group of friends. We went out, um, rich and James of one nation radio also attended. And, um, they also brought people along with them. So we had a, a whole mess load of people and, you know, me and rich, we decided, fuck it. We're going to go ham. We're going to go hard and hard. We did go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We dressed up. He was, um, he was one of the Cobra Kai guys. Yeah, you know. Right. So no mercy. He was dressed, yeah, and, and yeah. There's no no mercy in this dojo. Sweep the leg, all that good stuff. And then I just went as a random skeleton guy. I just i i did a Darby Allen painted up my face in a skeleton, put on some uh some dark stuff, and uh, people liked the outfit. Actually, I went out and um, yeah, we sang karaoke, and we were in a smoky bar. So we smelled horrible. It was awesome. <laughs> really, really, really cheap well drinks for like $4 for like the strongest drink you've ever had in your life. And uh, yeah, man, we, we, uh, we had a great time. And um, I sang Psycho Killer by um, what's by the Talking Heads. And um, Rich sang uh, Never Gonna Give You Up by uh, Rick Asley. Is that that guy's name? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then um, after he got done, he he told the entire bar that they got Rick rolled just now. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I had to leave a little bit early. Uh, James got there late, so I didn't even spend that much time with James. But uh, apparently, he sang karaoke too. I didn't even know. So um, you know, hopefully, uh, for those listening, I know that this is a little insidery. We got a large audience, but like, let me just tell you guys, Mixers is the bar that I attend pretty regularly. It's super dive, but it's fun. They got darts. They got well drinks super eclectic mix of people and then it's just like uh oh and they gotta like you know karaoke every weekend and you know the tiniest little dance floor you've ever seen and we go hard there and um i'm always inviting people from our friend group and no one is ever willing (laughs) to attend this place it's, it's become a meme pretty much in our group chat it's like every like friday night saturday morning like all right who's coming to mixers and no, like, but here's the thing. I don't actually go that often. Like the last time we went, which was like three or four weeks ago, the guy was like, I haven't seen you guys in a few months. So it's not like we're there all the time. But when we do go, because I don't go out that much, but when we do go out, inevitably, we somehow find our way at mixers, regardless of whether <laughs> we started there or whether we end the night there. And uh, no one is ever willing from our group to go. But um, I believe I may have won over at least Rich and possibly James. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know about James. I, I don't know. Well, that's, that's a start. Yeah, I mean, I have not stepped in the mixers yet. So, yeah, maybe I need to come give it a try. But, yeah, it's pretty pretty big getting James out. I mean, post-pandemic, you, you don't get James out unless it's for, like, a wedding or a funeral. Or, yeah. Or maybe, maybe a pay-per-view. Um, so. Well, pandemic's over, bro. So that's That's big. no i don't even know if i don't know if it's over it's over here in florida it's been over for like a year and a half two years now so (laughs) right what pandemic um did you do anything cool for halloween uh so kind of laid low for the most part this year uh my wife um had a her one of her family uh cousins had a little uh get together thing so you know a lot of like you know spooky themed treats and stuff like that um You, you dress up no, nah, we didn't dress up. And it's not Halloween. 
then it's just a farce. It's yeah. like a you know, it's like what what do the churches do? They do a fall festival. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the trunk, trunk or treat. Trunk or treat. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you did, bro. <laughs> I, you I, did adult I, trunk or treat. I, I left the gimmicks at home. Um, you know, did, did it mask up? No, no paint this year. No, no, none of that. Yeah, me with the paint. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, so uh, we got like six shows and a bunch of other stuff to cover. Yeah, so we, we got a <laughs> lot to dive in here. Uh, first thing we no, got no, nothing. Nothing from Halloween was scary. What's been scaring me all weekend is doing this show and watching all of this content. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a lot. Um, before we jump into the shows, um, October is over. Uh, we're recording on Tuesday, November first, which means. We got to name the October Wrestler of the Month and Match of the Month. Young boy, tell the listeners who our Wrestler of the Month is for October. Yeah, and let me just say, um, there's been several months in the past where it's been pretty cut and dry, open and shut case for who the Wrestler of the Month is. And on this particular month, it was pretty difficult. I mean, realistically, um, I think Aussie Open, Narita, Shingo and Zack Sabre Jr. all had pretty strong, compelling cases for being the wrestler of the month just based off their body of work or major wins, that sort of thing. But um, ultimately, and people may disagree with this, and I don't know if maybe he just gets the love bump because we both adore the man. I'm not sure. But um, after a lot of back and forth and a lot of soul searching, it should come as no surprise to many of you that October's wrestler of the month is Tomohiro Ishii. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know, and that might be a surprise to you if you haven't been paying attention, but this man, Ishii, had a awesome month. You start in the UK, Royal Quest 2 has a tag match with Okada um, against bad dude Tito and Zack Knight, which was fine, but then the next night, he has a banger with Yota Suji. Um, then you look at what he's been doing on... New Japan Strong this past weekend. He had a, a banger with Filthy Tom Lawler to close off the Autumn Attack Tour. And then in Japan, the uh, TV title tournament. We'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. But absolutely great main event with Ren Narita. Yeah, I was going to say, um, like you mentioned, if you're not paying attention, it might come as a surprise because his match has kind of been scattered all over. You know what I mean? Right. You know, strong and then. You know, the UK show, and then now this one was in the TV tournament. But he's also had 10 Battle Autumn, you know, tour tag team matches along the way during this month as well. So super high output of volume as well as quality. Probably the best string of singles matches all month. But the reason I was saying it's not a surprise to the listeners because it's Ishii, and he wins this like half the year um, since the show started. I'm pretty sure Ishii is the most winningest, like... (laughs) person in the history of wrestler of the month for this show yeah so uh like the only reason people could be surprised like if they didn't see the royal quest suji match didn't see the filthy tom match like, there, there could be some stuff that people are, are missing well the other thing too is like he did lose to narita who like i said had, has a pretty strong case himself but when you take into fact or taking it um i don't know what the word is i'm looking for but when you take into account the fact that he gave narita and suji probably their best singles matches thus far in new japan and arguably one of filthy tom waller's best singles matches in the company it's a strong argument for tomohiro ishii so 
you know, beat out Narita, beat out Osseo, beat out Shingo and ZSJ this month. Yeah. So that is our wrestler of the month. And Jeremy, uh, let the people know who the, what the match of the month for October is. Yes, yeah, so the October match of the month comes from Royal Quest Night 1. That's right. It's the IWGP tag team title match between FTR and Aussie Open. Um, you know, this match received rave reviews before it even ever made tape and was distributed. And then once it was finally released on New Japan World, you know, two weeks later, um, people are watching it throwing five stars match of the year. It's in, I believe the top five matches of the year on cagematch.net. Um, this absolutely incredible tag team match. Me personally, I was not as high on this match as some other people. I guess the majority of people are, but I can recognize just, you know what it's, it's, it's moved the culture. Uh, across Jeremy, the board, you, you, you gave it four and a half. Yeah, four and a half in years past has been mat or you know match of the year. I know, but we're, we're used to the you know four and three quarters, the fives, the right. sixes, and there weren't fives and four and three quarters in the month of October. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not like what you're saying is that crazy or controversial. Like I don't, you know. I know it's based on the ratings, but most people are like, for sure, five stars. Right, it's my match of the year. Nothing's better, and for me, I just wasn't quite as high on it. I just feel the energy that you want to distance yourself from the FTR crowd. <laughs> is what it sounds like, like without saying it, you're using code to throw up the signal. Like, hey, I'm not rocking with this shit. All I'm saying, it was a great match. It's the October match of the month. I, I don't think it's match of the year. I don't even think it's the best tag team match of the year. Uh, I do think right now, and we'll have to see when we go over the ballots, probably going to be the New Japan. The New Japan tag team match of the year. Yeah, I can agree to that. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, strong month for October. Hopefully, we can keep things rocking in November. Um, I don't know. I feel weird tonight. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm like getting tongue tied. It's like how many episodes of this fucking show we done now? Like five hundred almost. This week is episode two fifty seven. Okay, so we're like almost half to what I, <laughs> or over half of what I uh, estimated. But yeah, you'd think after like two hundred seventy five episodes and countless and count thousands and thousands of hours of recorded audio, I would feel like you know normal. But I just I don't know. I feel weird. Hey, it is what it is. Even the pros. I mean, Uncle Dave gets, you know, tongue-tied sometimes, so. I'll tell you what. There was a DJ Saturday night, and one of the girls that were with us was like, he sounds so professional. And, like, I was just thinking, my dog Jeremy was smoking. <laughs> Jeremy's got that that broadcaster voice. Bro, I could probably get you a gig at Mixers on Saturday nights. You would mop this kid. Better music check choices. Better voice. I'm pretty sure you keep things, like, live and lit, like, you need to be a DJ, bro. Hmm. I, I need that for some extra income. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. But let's, uh, uh, yeah, let's jump into these shows, I guess. Yeah. So we got, uh, we'll start in Japan with the Battle Autumn Tour. So we'll go over the, the three shows. And what we'll do is we'll kind of just kind of read the results from the undercard. And because we're previewing the, you know, the big uh, tour closer, Osaka. Uh, we'll talk about some of the stuff that happened in the undercard in the build of those matches. And then 
for right now, we'll focus our attention on the NJPW World TV title tournament matches. Um, the shit that actually matters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll start October 26th. Uh, we had Aaron Hanare and Gideon Gray defeating Fujita and Nakashima. Alex Zane, David Finley, and Tiger Mask defeating Taka Kanemaru and Zack Sabre Jr. Hikaleo and Tanahashi defeating Dick Togo and Evil. Kenta and Taiji Shimori defeating Desperado and Taichi. Hiromu and Sonata defeated Master Wato and Togi Makabe. And then Francisco Akira, Jeff Cobb, and TJP defeated Bushi, Tetsuya Naito, and Teton, which then leads into this night's TV tournament matches. First, in the semi-main event spot, we had Toru Yano defeating the Great Okan at 11 minutes and 20 seconds. Yeah, you know, um, this match was interesting because uh, we've seen Yano and Okan wrestle before. Last week, did I say I, I couldn't remember those matches? Yeah. Okay. Once the, once um I started seeing the preview uh, tags for it, I was like, "What about what was I thinking?" Like, obviously, he like tied his like hair ponytail yeah. in the past, so it, it all kind of came back to me once I saw them in the ring together. But um, it is you know, it's a really interesting um pairing just because obviously Yano is a comedy wrestler and he relies so much on gimmickry and everything like that. And to kind of like get through his matches, but even though Okan is a great technical wrestler, he kind of rides with the bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's a low key comedy wrestler. (laughs) Yeah. Low key comedy guy. So they kind of actually have a lot to work off of one another. And, um, I thought this match was pretty good. I mean, not great by any means, but, for being like what uh i don't even know like a 11 minute tv title match it i thought it was fine i thought it was funny and somewhat enjoyable and i think part of it is because seeing yano's shtick on people he's wrestled for a long time it kind of grows tiresome but when it's someone who's like so expressive and so character oriented like okana i think it's a little bit more entertaining but obviously the real like big talking point of this match was the tail end where we got the surprise appearance of the great Muda and him spraying the mist in Okan's face. Yeah. So the lights go out and first I'm like, Oh no, it's Yama joining house of torture. House of torture <laughs> bullshit. You're like, it's like, Oh God. Yeah. Or is it, is it Sabu? Is it finally Sabu? <laughs> uh, but yeah, the lights go out, comes back on. And like you mentioned, yeah, it's a great Muta, which, um, he's kind of a little rivalry kind of brewing with the great Okan based off of one of his retirement matches. So he comes out, you mentioned shoots the green mist Okan incredible sell job of this thing. He's acting like his eyes are burning. His skin is burning. He's screeching and yelling, which uh, causes the distraction for Toriano to, to roll him up. Schoolboy one, two, three, uh, Toriano advances in the TV tile tournament. Okan, Continues to, to sell uh, the Green Mist after the match. Uh, Great Muta and Yano shake hands. And then post-match, you know, um, Great Okan's crawling to the backstage, screaming and yelling, oh, it burns, it burns. And, you know, saying, you know, this is not over. He wants to battle Muta. And we would find out that we will get a six-man tag coming up at the historic crossover with Okado, Okada, Yano, and... Great Muta taking on 
Jeff Cobb, the great Ocon, and Aaron Hanare. Yeah, and um, I think one the when the surprise was actually that it was great Muda. They did a great job. Like the lights come on, the refs back is turned. He's attending to Yano, and there's just this like the crowd just murmuring like oh like. And they did the the, the the standoff, like, you know, Ocon's in the ring. And then Great Muda is, you know, just standing there at ringside, just looking menacing. And, you, and like, neither one's moving. And then as soon as Ocon, like, comes through the ropes and, like, faces him, boom, the mist just fucking hits him right in the face. It's probably one of the best mists I've ever seen. Yeah, dude. In, in the history of wrestling. Best mist, best sell job, like. And then, you know, and then instead of Yano being the one who, you know, threw him into the exposed turnbuckle, hit him low, and then rolled him up, like, it's the interference from Okan. So it kind of protects uh, Okan in a way and makes it plausible that, that Yano would be able to beat him at this point. It puts him up in the win column in their all-time rivalry against one another. And it, you know, uh, creates a situation now where it's like, you know, Okan needs to get his comeuppance against Muda before Muda goes away. And again, Muda, uh, you know, obviously that is the gimmick, insane, you know, violent, you know, homicidal character version of, you know, Kijibuto. And we kind of see some similar influences there for Great Okan. Not to say he's a totally different guy, but when he wrestles a tag match versus for the big matches, it's almost like a, a character transformation. It's a gimmick change and, you know, a tire change. So there's even some um, influence there, I would say. And definitely even just the leaning heavily into the character standpoint of, you know, from from a work standpoint in his matches, that's heavily Muda influence. So I think this whole thing's pretty fitting. And um, I thought it was uh, entertaining. And it's kind of nice to not just have, I mean, granted, do I want great matches on my, you know, New Japan shows? Sure, of course. But having moments like this, I know, like, we make fun of the WWE crowd because they, they love moments. But right. every now and again, because we this this sort of stuff is so sparingly done in New Japan, it, it can be very effective when it's used correctly. And I, th- I felt like on this show, on this stage, it was done really well. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome in the video packages when they actually do wrestle. Yeah, and also it helped, like you mentioned, uh, you know, some Cork and Hall, people were able to cheer, so you did, you did get that crowd reaction. First of all, just in the match with all the, the Yano uh, antics, but then with this post-match angle, like you mentioned, you, you had the crowd kind of murmuring and popping once, you know, Muto's there, and he, he shoots the mist, and, you know, the crowd was really into it and digging that whole angle. So, yeah, everything was great there, and, you know, we do have a an angle of the year category, so, you know, glad to get a, you know, a late nominee here for that. Um, yeah, and, and we were also last week speculating just based on the trajectory of the tournament. Like, it seemed like Yano sort of needed the win, yeah, forever for the booking to make sense. But we didn't anticipate, you know, a great Muda appearance. So <laughs> right. that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then, moving on to the main event, the last first round match in the tournament, the Son of Strong Style, Ren Narita defeats the, the Stone Pit Bull Tomohiro Ishii. 14 minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah, I mean, I know obviously it's so early in the return from excursion for Ren Narita. So making a statement like the biggest win of his career, like any big win he gets is going to be 
meaningful at this early juncture of his career. But because of the history and the stage and the stakes and the opponent and also the excellency that was displayed in the match, the violence that was on display, this is a huge win and really tells me that New Japan is going in with Red Narita. And it is so funny because there I've listened to this was, a you know, last week after like literally the day after we'd recorded. So we're kind of late on giving our thoughts and opinions on the matter, but I've heard so many other podcasters and personalities just talk about how they're, they're all in on Ren Narita now. They're buying in on him, blah, blah. I'm like, bitch, we've been, we've been talking about Bro. this man since 2017. Yes. We have been riding hard for Ren Narita. And to finally see people find out. And you know what the, the funny thing is? You didn't, the, the stage did matter. But if you watched Strong at all for the past year or year and a half, however long it's been, he's been doing this time and time and time again with Filthy Tom Lawler and Chris Dickinson. Fred Rosser. Fred Rosser. I mean, he's got a plethora of great matches. The Juice match just very recently. Mm -hmm. He's got a catalog already kind of built up that people don't know about. And to see him come here and put it on display against one of the best in the game, Tomohiro Ishii, and then all the illusions, all the callbacks, and the history from the Shibata rivalry and series. It, it was just really, really great. This match was awesome. Yes, match was, yes, so great. And they kicked it off right from the bell, throwing strikes at each other. You know, they did a great job building this matchup too in the um, you know, the, the tour with the undercard tags. And so there was a lot of heat going to this. Like I said, start from the bell, exchanging forearms and chops and uh, the crowd was super into it, and Rito was hitting a bunch of great suplexes all throughout this match. Um, some really stiff kicks uh, to Ishii, and it had everything you loved about a great kind of strong style match. A lot of firing up, um, fighting spirit spots, kicking out at one. You had big clotheslines and lariats. Um, again, Rito with this awesome like German suplex bridge on Ishii. Uh, Ishii firing back with a huge headbutt. And these guys just going back and forth, just kind of throwing bombs at each other, firing up until uh, Narita was finally able to capture Ishii in the Narita special bridging suplex uh, for the win. And like you mentioned, they are going all in with Narita. You can tell what they think about a guy when they come back based off their booking and slotting. You compare it to like a, a more recent comeback in like a Master Wato, who his first feud was with Doki, and he kind of struggled to beat Doki. And here he lost to Kanemaru. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here you have a, a Ren Narita coming back and defeating, you know, one of the best in-ring workers, a, a top guy in New Japan, multiple multiple time never open weight champion, Tomohiro Ishii. Like you mentioned, this is a big win because Ishii is not quite at New Japan dad status yet. I mean, he still picks up some big wins. Um, didn't have the best G1 record this year, but. Obviously, the output's still there, still has a lot of big wins. It's still considered, you know, to the audience as a, a tough opponent. So, like you mentioned, a big vote of confidence here for Narita to get the, the big pinfall, clean victory on Tomohiro Ishii. Awesome match. I went four and a half on this. Now, I, I'm a, I'm slightly lower than you. Uh, I, I feel like going, I feel like this is where I'm going to pull up that rare four and a third. <laughs> because I, I feel like four and a quarter is too low, but I... For me, I feel like four and a half is just a tad bit too high. Um, 
couple things I did like about the match. I mean, Ishii, we talked about how he can go in there and he has these templated matches that are great, admittedly. You know, he's got a formula that you can plug in and play certain guys in a certain formulaic matches he has, and they work and it's really good. But then sometimes he just is super motivated, and that's what we got here. And then on the other side of the, the fence, you've got Ren Narita, who is a young up-and-comer who's looking to make a name and, you know, basically make his bones off of, you know, uh, a, a grizzled veteran in Tomohiro Ishii and prove himself. It's a, it's a tale as old as time, but to see them pull it off this well was really great. Only couple things for me was um, I do feel like, and it's kind of strange, and I don't want to... I don't want to sound too much like a contrarian, but the hype that I saw going into this was like that strong style, hard hitting action in New Japan has been gone and dead, you know, uh, at that next level. And this match brought it back. And this was a throwback to Shibata Ishii. This was a throwback to Nakamura Ibushi. And I got to tell you, Jeremy, I didn't see that. I thought that this was an excellent, excellent match. I do feel like it was worked really well, given the, the, the fact that it had to be under 15 minutes. And I feel like they went out there and put their working boots on. And it was stiff, and it was really great. But this, to me, was not in the level of, like, say, some of the Ishii Goto G1 matches that we've seen, or, like, even recently in the pandemic era, like Nagata and Suzuki, or those, uh, like, Shingo and Ishii matches. That stuff is next-level violence, and this wasn't quite that. This isn't to say that I want to take anything away from the match. I feel like it was perfect for what it was because down the line, these guys are going to meet again, probably on a bigger stage when uh, I feel like Narita has even more experience and they probably can go out there and do more. But I did think it was crazy how I heard people talking about Now, the good thing is there's probably a lot of people who aren't paying as much uh, attention to New Japan as maybe we are, and so... Maybe that's why the nuance is like lost on me because I'm like, this isn't new. This is we're seeing this month after month after month after month. This this company never stopped being the great match company right. that it's always been. But people are acting like this was a like a throwback to happier times. And I'm like, the good times never stop, people. You guys just stop watching. It's been here all along. And this is just another this is a drop in the bucket. Yeah, I mean, I gave the match four and a half, but I wouldn't say, you know, it was up there like with, like you mentioned, like a Shingo Ishii. Um, some of these matches we're getting with, you know, Ishii the last two years in the pandemic, Nagata, Suzuki, like we've still have been seeing strong style matches, several match of the year contenders, several violent, bloody, hard hitting matches. Uh, but this, I mean, this match was, was a really great matchup, like you mentioned, for the 15 minutes main event, um, you know, kind of the story between these guys here. It was a great story, and yeah, really enjoyed this matchup and looking forward to this, this continued rise of Ren Narita. And I'm just so excited that the company, we've been talking about it for a while now, how they need an injection of youth. We need younger talent. The roster is yep. growing old. And to see that they're finally going with a young guy in Ren Narita and strapping the rocket to him is, is pretty exciting to see. I don't know if he's going to win this turn. I have a feeling he might not win the tournament, but uh, I feel like maybe now's the time for them to go full bore and just do it. But uh, I am excited to see the future uh, of him. And I got to say, even though I, I have a couple of negative remarks, taking nothing away from this match, I still think it's 
probably the best um, match of the tournament so far. Maybe the best match of Narita's career. And probably the second best match of the month at worst. You know, yeah. just behind FTR and Aussie Open. And the great thing, too, is all these TV tournament matches are free on yep. NJPW World. They're on YouTube. So I think this was a great, you know, magnet to bring fans back in. It generated a lot of buzz. So, you know, great idea there. The TV matches being free. So that's bringing a lot of attention uh, to New Japan. Also, real quick, I, I love their uh, the pre-match promos for these guys. Like, uh, Narita said, like, one word, and Ishii said no. Ishii didn't say anything. <laughs> he looked annoyed that he had to even be on camera, like, like even, you know, giving them the time of day to try and ask him a question or whatever, you know? Right. I wish he would have just pulled a Dallas and just said, smash! <laughs> just walked <laughs> off. Uh, we did have a question here from Barry Wall. She says, seeing how well Kojima is doing in Noah which I called six before it happened to this very show. Should Ishii go to Noah or all Japan? I love him and don't want him to ever to go ever, but his own legacy, is he not deserving of a possible world title to his name? Considering how much you like him, would you rather he get a title before he retires or stay in new Japan never win the big one, but still put out amazing work. Tomohiro Ishii, ROH world champion. That's got a nice <laughs> ring to <laughs> <laughs> the NWA World Heavyweight Champion, Tomohiro Ishii, you know, up there with Buddy Rogers, Luthez, Pat O'Connor, Tomohiro Ishii. That sounds right. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't mind Ishii, you know, just coming to America, winning the strong title and just being strong champion for like a year. Yeah, you know, that is one of the things. Um, and, you know, Barry, I don't recall you sending us a, a comment saying that, but we get so many questions. It's I don't remember what I said last week half the time. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, that definitely makes sense that someone would have thought that Kojima or some of the dads could do well on, you know, on the outside in some of the other companies. And uh, there's no reason to think that Tomohiro Ishii would be an exception. Uh, if anything, I mean, we've seen him already have matches and have good reactions in impact and, in ROH in the past and in AEW and different places. So yeah, I would, I would love to see him on the Indies, but I wouldn't mind seeing him have storylines and go on a run in a, you know, BJW or all Japan or Noah or whatever, you know, or Glade that all that shit sounds cool to me. Yeah. So moving on to the next show, October 27th, we had Aaron Hanare defeating Rihoi Oiwa, Tomiro Ishii and Toriyano defeating Ren Narita and Yuto Nakashima, Great Okan and Jeff Cobb defeating Togi Makabe and Tomioka Hanma, Bushi Hiromo and Teton defeating Akira, Gideon Gray and TJP, Alex Zane, Hikaleo, Tanahashi and Master Wato defeating Despi, Taichi, Taka and Kanamaru. Sonata and Tetsuya Naito defeating Gato and Kenta. So that brings us to the tournament matches. In a summit event, we had Evil defeating Yoshihashi 9 minutes and 48 seconds. Um, I mean, the good thing, this was kept short, which was, I mean, I guess all of the matches are short, but it was sub-10 minutes, so that's a positive. Um, but... Considering the quality of matches we've seen from Yoshihashi and Evil in the past, I felt like this was a bit of a letdown. Um, typical, you know, bullet club 
house of torture shenanigans and cheating, but it was almost like turned up. The, the thing I was thinking was with the shorter match times, maybe they wouldn't be able to pop off as much gimmickry. And it turned out that they could do just as much gimmickry <laughs> in an even shorter amount of time. So it kind of really brought the match down quite a bit for me. Um, it was fine, but I guess it was to kind of be expected that evil would get through, but I didn't find the match entertaining or compelling in any way, really. Yeah, this sucked. Uh, I mean, there's just <laughs> <laughs> there was just so much shenanigans. Literally everything with Dick Togo and ref distraction, ref bumps, pulling the ref out the ring. And Yoshihashi had the match won on like ten different occasions. He was overcoming all the odds and literally had Evil pin with that same kind of um, you know karma roll up he used on Jeff Cobb. But Dick Togo pulled the ref out of the ring. Um, until finally at the end, uh, Evil was able to hit everything is evil on Yoshihashi to uh, get the win here. And it's, yeah, I mean, I get it. You you want to continue the gimmick and get heat. But you know what? We're in, we're in Corkin Hall. The crowd can make noises. And I got to be honest with you. I really didn't hear as many big boos as much as like the very first like fan cheering show. Well, OK, I will counter that by saying this. Anytime they did anything bad, it did get booed. They didn't get the the kind of nuclear heat when they walked in the audience and the audience goes, oh, you know. But every single time they cheated, the crowd reacted to it viscerally. And there is online a narrative that I've seen on Twitter where people are acting like it's dead silent during these evil matches. That's not really the case. It's just kind of, I think his shtick is overdone and I feel like the people are just reacting to it sort of uh, out of a knee-jerk reaction. Like a Pavlovian kind of yeah, somebody's cheating so we're going to boo. Exactly. But people are acting like they have they want it to go away so they've decided to protest by going silent. That's not even kind of true. No, I'm not saying that. I just feel like... Oh, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying that's what I'm seeing online. Yeah, I'm just saying compared to the first Corkin show where, where cheering was allowed again and they, they got, House of Torture got super heat on that show. Yeah. But then compare that show to this show, I don't feel like it was quite the same level of heat. Well, I think what he, the problem is the stuff that they do not only have, it's just so overdone. Like there's nothing about his game that is changing match over match in any way. And you look at some of the other guys like ELP or uh, Jay White, who are also, you know, big time cheaters in the same faction as him and they're able to get elicit negative responses from the crowd without doing the exact same thing every single match it is becoming lazy and just overdone now i will say i thought yoshihashi was good in the match i thought that his um you know he kept trying to overcome and counter everything and and his selling was really good but mm-hmm. that's the only thing in the match that i found to be compelling at all really yeah i thought it was josh yeah it looked great had tons of fire here um crowd was behind him yeah but unfortunately he was in there with evil uh moving on to the main event we had zach saber jr defeating david finley in the other quarterfinal matchup here uh so last week i, I was throwing a bowl prediction out i was going for david finley getting the win here and advancing on to the finals but Unfortunately, I, I was wrong, and Saber picks up the win. He was one step ahead of David Finley 
and caught him with a roll up towards the end. Yeah, bro. I, I called from the very beginning ZSJ versus Narita in the finals. I don't know if that's actually going to be what happens, but right now it's looking like it. Nostradamus in this bitch. Well, I, I and, feel like uh, that, that was everybody who was calling. Hey, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. It was just me. <laughs> me alone. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I thought this match was fine. You know, it's funny. I feel like Dave has overrated these matches just a bit. Like, he went three and a half on the, the match before, which I'm like, no, I don't know about that. No. And then he went, he went four stars on this one, which I feel like is a. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he just likes the the excitement of the sub fifteen minute time. I I own four on this match also. I felt like that was a tad bit too high personally, but um, I did think that this was very good. Uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, ZSJ is in the, the middle of a great month, and this was a another great match that he's had along with the Naito match, along with the uh, uh, Alex Zane match. So he's having a really strong month and. I thought that Dick, him and Dave Finley had pretty good chemistry, but where the match really picked up was down the final stretch where it was just like counter after counter, near fall after near fall. And these guys were just desperately trying to roll one another up. But ultimately, Dave Finley got pulled into Zach's game and he thought he'd be able to upset, you know, the technical wizard, Zach Sabre Jr., and get him with one of his dad's world of sport roll ups. And it's like, <laughs> dog, like Zach, like. Your dad taught you a couple things, like Zach. It's almost like that. Uh, remember uh, the the Dark Knight Rises when um, when uh, Bruce Wayne is fighting uh, Venom, and he's like, he's like, you merely adopted the darkness. I was born in it, forged in it. <laughs> yeah, like that's Zach Saber. He's like, you merely adopted World of Sport. I was raised <laughs> in it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Um... Yeah, Saber also cut a great promo after the match. You know, again talking about the, the Techers, and he is he is strong style, strong style Techers, which got him the the win here. Um, so yeah, really fun matchup that sends uh, Saber into the next round. And Finley, you know, another tough loss here. You know, he's had a lot of big moments, a lot of big opportunities, and he's coming up short. And so I'm wondering if that's going to lead to some kind of storyline or some kind of development for the next steps for Dave Finley. Well, you know, I feel like coming out of the um, G1, and I mean, obviously it's no surprise given that match and then given the the big uh, title opportunity he had against uh, Will Ospreay, he just kind of feels like a more established player. Not Maybe not like a top guy just yet, but like he doesn't feel like a joke. When before, every time he came back, he just felt like, LOL, Finley loses. And it doesn't, feel like a foregone conclusion like he's just gonna eat the l now if if they keep having him lose and they don't do something with the momentum and they don't build him up uh that can go away but as of right now he does feel like a player yeah so moving on to the october 30th battle autumn show we had doki defeating kosei vegeta great okan and jeff cobb defeating oiwa and yuzo nakashima Hikaleo and Master Wato defeating Dick Togo and Evil. Alex Zane, Dave Finley, and Tiger Mask defeating Taichi Taka and Zack Sabre Jr. Despi and Kanamaru defeating Gato and Taiji Shimori. Bushi, Hiromu, Naito, and Teton defeating Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira, Gideon Gray, and TJP. And then in the semi main event, we had a quarterfinal match in the tournament. Ren Narita defeating Toriano at 8 minutes and 47 seconds. 
even shorter Toriano match in this tournament than the previous one before it. And I felt like this one just worked on a lot of levels. You had a young lion returning from excursion who's hot and up and coming, but maybe he hasn't gotten the same kind of looks and, you know, um, the same kind of like wily tactics in the past in his excursion experiences. And to go one-on-one with a, you know, a master thief like Toriano, a trickster God, a guy who can, you know, find many, many different ways to beat you without you realizing it. And for him to kind of have to pass that major test was kind of a compelling story. And we saw him, you know, remove the turnbuckle pads and, uh, you know, tape up his boots and roll him under the ring and, you know, use all these different tactics to try to get the guy out of here. But ultimately, Narita is just too much man for Toriano. And he just, <laughs> just fucking stiff the fuck, you know, the, the shit out of him. And, and uh, I loved the way he put him away at the end. He did this running up, like, knee press sort of thing that yeah. I don't know if he... I, don't know. I, I haven't seen him do that in the past. I haven't seen him do that either. I don't know if that's going to be one of his Narita specials. I know he has, like, multiple Narita specials. Dude, uh, it needs to be because he, he can't keep doing the the drop on his head every single night for the rest of his career. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a, a great finish. And yeah, I thought Narita did a great job here, you know, wrestling the, the Yano style match and kind of blending the styles together. Like you mentioned, Narita is kind of being, you know, the, the, the strong style frustrated guy is kind of wanting to get over with the shenanigans and running through all the Toriano bag of tricks to, uh, to finally uh, put him away. Um, they're, on the site, they're calling it the guillotine and knee. It was so cool. I mean, just to if you guys haven't seen it, go check the match out, obviously. But it's essentially like he runs up like it. It's not like a V trigger, but um, how do I describe it? It. Do you remember? Do you remember when people used to do like the the? Ah, God, how do I describe this? It's kind of like it reminded me, which I thought what he was going to do was like almost like a running double stomp. Where people like run at you and jump up and do the stomp off the chest kind of thing. There's a move. I don't know who does it, but it's like the reverse. Okay, so you know how a famouser works, right? Yeah. But someone used to do a version of that facing the guy where it was almost like a flying oh, like yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except this was like that, but just with the knee. So like he jumps up. And then comes down on top of them, but instead of it being a uh, a leg drop, it's a knee drop on their chest. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's so cool. Yeah, it's super dope. Yeah, I hope he keeps using that as a, a another finisher. Um, but yeah, it looked really good in this matchup here. Um, overcame the the Yano antics and advances to the next round. Then in the main event, the other quarterfinal match, we had Sonata defeating Kenta. 13 minutes and five seconds. Um, This match was like how Sonata's facial hair is looking this day, <laughs> this, these days. Pretty just rough. Total, just total <laughs> shit. Just <laughs> fucking bad. This was the worst. In a, in a title tournament that is supposed to be youth-centered, enticing for fans watching for free on social media, and fast-paced action. This was none of those things. This is not a match I would ever show to anybody that I wanted to get into New Japan Pro Wrestling. This was not youth-based, and this was not fun 
or action-packed in any way. They spent how long was this match? It was like Thir- this match was thirteen. Minutes. Yeah, they had to spend at least five minutes of that time doing like spots where the guys weren't even wrestling, and they and someone was just on the outside stalling or something like that. Yeah, dude. Uh, the bell it was bad. Yeah, the bell rings. Kenta immediately, you know, pulls a Jay White, rolls out, powders, and he was legit like going in and out of the ring for like the first like two minutes of the match. And then they went to this whole thing of like, well, Sonata's like, I'm going to go out. And then Kenny would run in and Sonata would stay out. And then they would kind of do this whole back and forth chasing each other until like. Bro, so, so I thought someone was hurt, to be honest with you. I felt like the only reason that as as inconsistent as both of these guys are these days, the only reason I could conceivably think that they actually thought that this was a good idea to do in the main event of a show like this was someone was hurt. And they're trying to protect them and and kill some time, right? Especially with this being the main event, and these are two top stars in the company. You would think that they would give you a little bit something. You know, last week we did say you no. Know, it's going to depend on which version of these guys show up, and the, the worst version of both of them showed up. You you had stalling Kenta, who doesn't want to do anything, and it's all about the gimmick, and Sonata, who's just going to wrestle down to the level who he's in there with, and is going to play along with the whole shenanigan stuff, and it was just not a good match. Like you mentioned, the majority of the match was them either outside or Kenta stalling until finally, I would say, I don't know, like maybe seven in- minutes into the match, they actually finally got going to some kind of, you know, back-and-forth sequences in the ring. Yeah, I think this was the worst match of the tournament. Um, and, you know, down the tail end, there were some cool, like, roll-up exchanges and near falls, but it didn't make up for the lackluster nature of, of you know, the match. If I was a, a, a paying audience member, someone that was going, you know, to see two top stars work in this, you know, inaugural title tournament, and it's supposed to be fast-paced and, and fun and active, I'd be pissed. I'd want my money back. Yeah. Uh, post-match, not always... I want my time back from watching that match. <laughs> Uh, Post match, Sonata's cutting his you know his lights out promo thing where he has the fans put their uh, cell phone lights up, and Narita came out, cut that off. They had a little back and forth promo there, setting up their upcoming match. You know, I I turned it off after that. I didn't even go <laughs> <to> that. <laughs> well, that plus it's uh, that you know there's no Chris Charlton and there's no English, so I just figured he was going to do his basic lights out. I should have guessed that you know the. The, the that Narita would come out, but uh, you know, I, I guess I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's gonna lead to the conclusion of this tour. We have two shows at the end of this week, so first on November 3rd, and then the show the tour will close on November 5th with the, the big Battle Autumn show, both these shows uh, in Osaka. So starting with the preview of the November 3rd show, the show opened up with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Toriano against Oiwa and Yutanakashima. Then we'll have Aaron Hanare and Gideon Gray versus Hikaleo and Jado. David Finley and Hanma will team up to take on Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. Doki, El Desperado, and Taichi will take on Gato, Kenta, and Taichi Shimori. Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Zack Sabre Jr. will take on Dick Togo and Evil. Then we'll have some singles matches here, previewing the upcoming junior tag team title match. So Bushi 
will take on Francisco Akira. And then in the semi-main event spot, TJP will take on Teton. And then in the main event, Alex Zane, Master Wato, and Ren Narita will take on Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. So a couple things here. I mean, this is a, your typical, mostly typical, um, you know, preview battle autumn tour. Go home. Even, yeah. Uh, but a couple things, Tanahashi and Yano teaming together. That screams to me preview match for world tag league. So yeah. don't be surprised whatsoever. If they're pompadour wearing, you know, um, gimmick laced tag team duo, makes its way or makes its return for world tag league. I'm guessing that's probably going to be part of this. Yeah. You know, we could also get Oiwa and Nakashima as a young line team in there. I feel like they've been teaming. I know young lines always team, but I feel like they've been teaming a lot during this stretch of the tour as well. So maybe we get those guys as a young line team in there. Well, they'd have to be heavyweight considering Yuto Nakashima's current state. (laughs) Although then again, they have the audacity to try and say that, uh, uh, you know, what's the Alex Zane is a, a junior, so you just never know. They play fast and loose with the rules. There. <laughs> Somebody check those scales. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than that, though, I mean, just kind of taking a look here, I don't see anything else that's too noteworthy. The, the main thing is in the semi main event, you got Bushi and Francesco Kira and TJP versus Teton, which is obviously a preview for the upcoming junior tag team title match, but we've seen this booking so many times where they do these singles matches, just especially with the juniors, just prior to a junior title match. And what normally happens is something occurs at the end of the first match requiring the other team members to come out and either cheat or break up a scuffle or yada yada. And it leads directly right into the other match right out the gate and so don't be surprised we get that here because it's happened a million times in this company yeah you know the, the Heyman ecw special the one match bleeds into the next match i could totally see that happening here um to continue to, to build up heat for that upcoming title match yeah and then you know the main event you got zane wato and narita taking on Lij Hiromu Sonata and Naito, and that that's not necessarily fitting the mold of what we've been seeing during this tour. We haven't seen a lot of Hontai versus Lij action. It's mostly been Lij versus uh, United Empire. So this is probably just your highly enjoyable go home segment with you know good workers to kind of get things you know popped off. Plus, obviously Narita and Sonata are on opposite ends and will be facing each other, you know, for the, um, the tournament, but that, that match should be pretty good. Yeah. should be really fun. So then we move to November 5th, the big show here. That's going to be closing off this battle autumn tour. So the show will open with the IWGP junior heavyweight tag team title match with Francisco Akira and TJP defending their titles against the LIJ team of Bushi and Teton. All throughout the tour on the undercard, these guys have been in, you know, multi-man, six-man, eight-man tags, both with teams kind of getting wins over each other um, to kind of build this. And like we just talked about, 
on the third, there will be those two singles matches that will also build to this matchup. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is uh, last week when we did the preview, we talked about how Bushi and Teton had been kind of decimating Francesco Acura and TJP when it came to tag team action and a lot of the preview matches. But that's kind of gone by the wayside, whereas the United Empire team of uh, Francesco and uh, Akira and TJP have sort of become acclimated and even devised some um, new tactics that have been gaining them some success. So they kind of evened up the score over the past week just a bit. And so both teams are sort of on an even playing field here. And even though Francesco Akira and TJP are sort of a newer tag team. Obviously, they're the champions for a reason. They've had a lot of success, and they they kind of have the experience edge over Bushi and Teton, who have both been in the game, admittedly, for a long time, but they don't have a lot of experience prior to this past tour with teaming together. That being said, um, I am glad to see the juniors kicking it off in the opener for the first time in what on a big show and what feels like forever that used to be like from 2014 to 2017 sort of like a staple right. of the division when the division was going through a hot period yeah this just feels right uh, a big show yeah being opened with a junior tag team title match with two really good teams here with akira and tjp and bushi and teton um and i know bushi and teton haven't really teamed a whole ton but they have seem to form some good chemistry on these multi-man undercard tags, and all four guys are, are flyers and high pace and great counters, so this should be a really fun opener that sets the night on a good pace. Well, you know, we always talk about how LIJ is this cohesive unit, and I think part of it is because of the luchador influence. The style of tag team wrestling they do is very reminiscent of what you would see on a Friday night in Arena Mexico, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Teton's been able to kind of just plug right into what they do in those multi-man tag teams without skipping a beat. So, um, yeah, I, I am wondering to see if they're able to get the upset win here because if they do, that would be another callback to that 2014-2017 period <laughs> where the, these titles kind of passed hands a lot. But, you know, the other cool thing about this is not only is it two good teams, like you mentioned, Jeremy, it's two new teams. We've Mm. lamented how this division has been so stagnant and devoid of compelling teams and challengers and champions. And now we've got two completely new, admittedly makeshift, but new teams that to me both seem fun, exciting, and have been doing really well against one another all throughout the undercards of this tour so far. Yeah, and also uh, our good friend Robbie Eagles was saying he's going to be keeping his eyes on this match, which makes me think we're either going to get maybe Flying Tiger into the picture or maybe Eagles is going to have a new partner for the Junior Tag League and kind of claim his spot as, you know, the next challengers. Well, you know, uh, NJPW, what is it called, Masashi? Tamahashi. Tamahashi, yeah. Tamahashi is getting ready to launch. And if I was Robbie Eagles and I was thinking about, I mean, you've got two options. You could either team with like a Rocky Romero or a Yo, um, or some other Hauntai member like Tiger Mask, or maybe you bring in one of the young guys from Australia who are going to be part of this new brand 
and maybe get some eyes on them, especially since the junior tag team title tournament's getting ready to kick off anyways. Just an idea. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea, especially a yeah, great way to plug Tamahashi and kind of get people's attention on what's going over in um, Australia. So who you got uh, winning this? Huh, this is a tough call, but because these titles mean so little, I don't know. Well, you know, here's the interesting thing, Jeremy. Um, normally, the junior tag team title, uh, what is it called? Super Junior Tag League. Super Junior Tag League usually doesn't happen at the end of the year. It doesn't usually have Wrestle Kingdom implications. So that kind of changes the whole entire trajectory of how I think about that division right now. And normally I would just say it wouldn't be uncommon for them to switch the titles, but I am a little concerned that you switch the titles now right on the cusp of this uh, tag league. I mean, whichever team loses here is probably going to be either on the, the road to redemption for a rematch at Wrestle Kingdom or they're left out in the cold. So I'm really stuck on this one. What do you think? I'm going to go with Akira and TJP. I like the run that they're on right now. They've really been building them up as um, dominant champions and a dominant tag team. So I like them getting the win here. Them being the number one seed in the Super Junior Tag League, being that that top team there. Um, And then you can set up some other team, you know, beating them because it's probably going to be single block. You You have a team that... Upsets them. I'm, I'm guessing we're going to get some kind of three-way at, at Wrestle Kingdom. So you have a team that beats them in the tournament, and then you have another team that actually wins a league, and you, you do some kind of three-way like they've done in the past at Wrestle Kingdom. You, you get some kind of three-way, four-way. Like we used to get with like the Bucks and, and Red Dragon and Rapungi 3K and Rapungi Bison, those guys. So, um, so I, yeah, I think I like Akira and TJP going into the Dome as champions. Um, that's not a bad call whatsoever. Uh my only thing is there's just a long history of them changing the titles a lot. So based off just that soul logic alone, I'm going to go with LIJ. You bring in Teton, you establish him by putting the title on them. You get the end. Plus Bushi's been without gold for years now. Get them going, you know? Yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Bushi and Teton win. Um, but personally, I think I would rather T- uh, TJP and Akira keep the titles. Uh, so following that, we'll have Alex Zane, David Finley, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Toriyano taking on United Empire's Aaron Hanare, Gideon Gray, and debuting in Japan, finally, Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher, and Mark Davis. So I know that everyone wants to talk about Aussie Open, and rightfully so, but I got to tell you, Jeremy, there's a new sheriff in town. When it comes to the world of comedy wrestling, and I know for some people, this is no new surprise for them. For those Rev Pro fans or those, you know, Brit Res fans, they probably have known this for a while. But on the world stage, this is new to us. And this man, Lord Gideon Gray. Yes. He is the best comedy wrestler alive on the planet today. Better than Toriano. Mm. And better than big match to Gucci. Mm. Yeah, dude, I, I've been loving Gideon Gray. Guy's been hilarious in the, in the matches. I love him doing the announcing 
uh, the ring announcements for the United Empire guys. Um, he's getting over, you know, those cheering crowds. Um, they, they're digging Gideon Gray. There's so much about him, his packaging. He fits in, obviously fits in great with the whole United Empire and, and being the benefactor. And yeah, just the way he wrestles and it's just so, it's just so hilarious. It's perfect. Like, you know, heel, like, you know, squirmy heel. That's not a really good wrestler, but thinks he is. It's, it's like, it's per, it's great. I love it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can tell Kevin Kelly loves working off of him as well, because he just, there's this whole rich backstory about how the only reason he's even in wrestling is because of his rich parents. He's a trust fund baby essentially, or old money. And he, his family paid for all the best trainers in the world <laughs> to give him the best, you know, fundamental training that they possibly could get him. And so while other people had to scrap and, you know, scrounge and save, and you hear stories about these old time workers living out of their car, making dates, hitting the road. This guy wasn't doing that. He was living on his private estate, bringing in the best of the best of the trainers from around the world to him to teach him how to be a worker and it still didn't work because he still sucks (laughs) and uh it's just and he has every advantage there was a funny um spot where he was wrestling against Hiromu and he's chopping 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 and Hiromu's not selling it and then eventually realizes it's not working so then he he challenges Hiromu to give him a chop so he's wearing an overcoat takes the overcoat off he's wearing a shirt takes the shirt off and then he's got the straps on from his singlet pulls the straps down, turns around and there's, uh, you know, Naito and Hiromu. And he thinks better. He puts the straps back up. <laughs> I think he took one chop and he put the straps back up. He went, put the shirt back on and he tried to put the, uh, the jacket back on. And then they, they flung him into the ropes, Irish whip. And then he ducks it. And then he, he comes through, like he's going to give him a double shoulder block. Like he's the road warrior animal. And they just move out of the. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. And and like all tour, he's doing stuff like this. And it's not the same thing night after night. Like we always talk about like in the early days of United Empire, they're always fun and inventive and a a different flair and a different kind of like, uh, like creativity to their matches. He's right in line with that. This guy, I'm sure a lot of this might be old shtick, but even if it is, he's not doing the same, the same shtick night after night. He's finding something new and inventive each night to kind of entertain the, the audience in the crowd, but also at home. Yeah. He's definitely playing off of each opponent. He has a, a different game plan. It seems like for each person he's in there with, and there's some, also some hilarious like backstage comments with Hiromu where he's like, New Japan pro wrestling, please don't make me wrestle Gideon Gray anymore. Like, I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't understand him. He confuses me. He, he hurts my head. <laughs> there, was a, there was also, um, on the undercards during this past week, there was a match where it was him and probably Hinari, and they were facing off against the Lions. And I thought the lot, like, I know the Lions weren't going to win, but they started to get me believing that they were going to win because it's Lord getting great. Right. He, he doesn't even come off like a guy. He doesn't even come off like a Doki or Hanare, a guy that just plows through, a, uh, you know, a line because he can, he struggles hard with those dudes like he doesn't look <laughs> like he belongs at all right um there was also the funny like because and we'll get to it like naito has been feuding with the united empire but will osprey hasn't been in on the tour so they've kind of had to like serve as a quasi facsimile for him but at the same time there's no one on the group that like can 
totally be the guy that you know i mean like that you Mm -hmm. can't transfer that energy so there's not like a a lot of heat going back and forth so it's kind of just become about him and lord gideon gray and like at one point he stole gideon gray's overcoat and and stole his like the cane his (laughs) cane and he was like coming out and like at at one point one of the matches like gideon gray finally got the cane and the overcoat like you know we always talk about t-shirt naito Mm mm-hmm well, there was like one night on the tour for the undercard where he was t-shirt night to wearing an overcoat, like even lazier than normal. <laughs> and Gideon Gray got the overcoat back and he goes, yeah. <laughs> Bro, oh. I saw this man wrestle in Orlando. I saw, I saw him wrestle Hornswoggle and I just thought like he was like comedy, but not like in a actually funny way, but more like in a bullshit way. Like this sucks. Yeah. He's great. He is so great. Yes, dude, I, I'm loving Gideon Gray. Um, so that should be fun. Aussie Open finally in Japan. Um, you know, I, I would like them to get a win, but I mean, they they got Gideon Gray on their team here. Um, I'm thinking that they're they're gonna be in World Tag League, right? And with with that being the case, I think they need the win here. Looking at the the uh, teams that are in front of them, though. You got Tanahashi and Yano on the other side. Is there a chance with with World Tag League coming up that we do see the emergence of Tanahashi and Yano start to debut those gimmicks, the pompadour and the overcoats, and maybe even pick up the win in this multi-man tag here? Gideon Gray is on the other side. Maybe Yano gets the roll-up, and that sort of sets the stage for these two teams eventually facing off in, in you know in tag league. Yeah, I think the only hope for United Empire is if they can corner maybe like Alex Zane and and get the pin on him. Maybe Aussie Open has see the Coriolis on him and get the win on him. But yeah, with Gideon Gray on there, it's going to be tough for United Empire to get the win here. You know, the other thing too, uh, speaking of Alex Zane, I feel like he's in a precarious position because he got so over during Super Juniors this past year, but he no longer looks like a junior. And I don't know if he's ready to compete on that level with the heavyweights. I don't know if he's that over with the crowd or that over with management or even just that over in kayfabe to where he's currently a believable player in that realm. But he's so big, he kind of has to be. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're going to try and finesse and slide him in the Junior Tag League or are they going to use him in the, the heavyweight World Tag League? I wonder if they're going to give him like a early Jeff Cobb sort of. Like, remember how when Jeff Cobb was first here, they didn't know what to do with him, but they liked him, so they kept him around and gave him opportunities until something truly opened up where he could define himself as a character. Yeah. Because right now that's sort of how he feels. He feels like, this guy that's very popular, he's got things about him, he can work the live crowd, people like him, but he doesn't feel defined. He doesn't feel like someone where if he goes in the G1, I don't see him even going 500 right now. Not because he's not great, but because he's just ill-defined right now, as opposed to like all the other guys that are currently on the roster. Yeah, and he did team with uh, Mystico this past week on Strong, which I'm wondering if that... Uh potential junior tag team if they're going to try and keep him as a junior dude him and mystico in uh tag league if they do that i don't think they're going to do that but if they did that would rule that match was, <laughs> we'll get to that match it was awesome yeah but um yeah i am wondering also i mean 
him and David Finley are here. Maybe they're in tag league together. Mm. I, I, I don't know what either guy is going to, we're getting to that point of the year where it's like, what are these guys going to do that are sort of left out in the cold to, to not be in the Rambo to, to get some sort of spot on, on January 4th, especially since there's only one night. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with those guys. Aaron Hanar uh, is in the same boat as those guys too. Yeah. And who, who he's been awesome on this undercard tour, by the way. Yeah. He's been like wrecking young lions, wrecking people and multi-man stuff. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do because I'll see Cobb and Ocon will probably be in tag league. You have Austin Open in tag league. Doesn't really leave anybody for Hanara to team with unless, you, unless you're going to team with Gideon Gray. <laughs> but ultimately, I think the story of this match is about establishing Aussie Open as this hot new act that's finally here in Japan. If it was me, I would give them the win, but I won't be surprised if Gideon Gray ends up eating the loss just because that's what he's there to do, you know? Yeah. Otherwise, uh, I think that Alex Zane, I'm going to, I'm going to be bold here and say Alex Zane eats a Coriolis. That's what I would like to see. So yeah, I'm going to go with that too. Although Yano could eat it too. He he could, uh, but if they're going to push Yano and Tanahashi, they may, might want to protect You're him. You're right. Yeah. Especially if he just lost to uh, Narita. Nice. Uh, so up next we have Yujiro Takahashi versus Hikaleo. So here's the whole update on the the never open weight Carl Anderson situation. So we got a statement from New Japan this week saying, despite extensive efforts by New Japan Pro Wrestling to negotiate with Carl Anderson regarding his scheduled match in Osaka at Battle Autumn on November 5th, NJPW officials have still been met with no response and have been left with no other option but to cancel the planned never open weight championship match. We apologize to the fans who have been looking forward to watching Anderson wrestle after a challenge from Yujiro Takahashi and a direct request of Hikaleo. Osaka will now see a non-title special singles match between Yujiro Takahashi and Hikaleo. Yeah, so there had been previously a public statement that they, if he, if, uh, Carl Anderson didn't make the November 5th date that he would be officially stripped of the title. I think Obari had mentioned that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth about what is real, what is fake. I, I Basically, this is what was reported by the guys over at Voices of Wrestling, the reporting coming from Joe Lanza. Give those guys a follow on their, uh, I, what is it? Patreon. Yeah, they have a Patreon, which is well worth the follow. And, um, you know, kind of in a nutshell, because I don't want to give everything, but they essentially said Carl Anderson had been negotiating for a long time with WWE. And this is what they're... Since like August. Since like August. And this is what they've been told. And based on what we know, I will tell you this, I, I believe that Joe has the best sources of anybody that's in media right now when it comes to new Japan pro wrestling, take that for what you want to believe. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't say that unless I truly actually thought that that was an accurate statement. Um, Anyways, new Japan was very aware that they were already negotiating with WWE. And then there were certain dates that had been outlined that they were supposed to work. 
uh, along the time that they were negotiating with WWE, the conflict arose that they were needed in Saudi Arabia. And obviously he's the champion and they want him to drop the belt, but there were no major cards prior to November 5th to where that could work. And then following that, there's not very many other than like say historic crossover world tag league finals or January 4th. And WWE's kind of hands off from the whole thing. They're aware he's the champion. They're aware that they've given him uh, in theory, the approval to go drop the belt and then finish up. So apparently they've given him like one date to work. And there's been a lot of negotiation about what that date would be, whether it would be not, you know, 11-5 or 11-21 or World Tag League Finals or 1-4 or even one of the strong tapings. And I don't even know that as of the time of this recording that that's fully been worked out. I expect it to be January 4th. What ended up happening is because he was the champion, they basically already knew that he was not going to make the 11-5 date when they announced that he would be facing Hikaleo on 11-5. The reason for that is kind of what I speculated last week is that they tried to make a storyline out of the entire ordeal to say that he's holding up the title and he's unwilling to play ball and unwilling to do business and he's taking the bigger payday in WWE. This is all an attempt and it was approved by the office. It was something, and that's why you have like Chris Charlton and Rocky and all these different guys commenting in kayfabe saying, you know, you know, fuck this guy, tell him to bring the belt back, blah, 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 blah. Right. And, and him cutting promos, um, you know, saying you guys didn't go through the big LG. Is that his name? LG? Yeah. Yeah. Luke Gallows. Yep. Oh, I, I I never know why they call him the LG. That, that makes sense, Luke Gallows. <laughs> I just don't give a fuck about him enough to like even care of like why. I I don't know. I thought it was like his phone or something. <laughs> um, you know, he didn't go through Luke Gallows, my booking agent, and I'm booked for a bigger night, bigger lights, blah blah blah. Like it, it was very apparent that this whole thing was a work, but just to what extent, nobody was sure. So they announced the that he wouldn't be able to make the date as a means of protection for New Japan. Because hypothetically, if WWE changed their minds and said, hey, this guy, we're, we're just going to pull him. Like, we're not going to play around with this. We, you know, we're tired of all this back and forth. Just, you know, we need you for something else. It's done. You're not going to finish up the date. New Japan can say, we announced you for a date. You didn't make the date. We're stripping you of the title. So they have an actual public kayfabe reason to potentially strip him if needed at this point. As a, Instead of just saying the champion left with the belt to go <laughs> work for WWE. Yeah. At the same time, they want him to come back and drop the belt. He wants to come back and drop the belt. And so does Hikaleo. Hikaleo wants him, him to come work the program with him. So it sounds like they're probably go they probably already arranged it. It's not confirmed, but it sounds like probably January 4th is when we're gonna get that big match. And in the meantime, Hikaleo's been lobbying night after night, match after match on the undercards of Battle Autumn Tour, like, hey, look, I'll wait. Don't strip this guy of the belt. I want to beat him for the belt. I don't want to beat someone else for the title. Let's do the match when he's ready, when he can make it over here. Let's do it. So he looks like the triumphant self-assured, confident guy that's willing to wait his turn 
to get his hands on this, you know, scoundrel who has stolen the absconded with the belt to New York and he's ready to win it back for New Japan and for Hantai's glory. Right. I think which works out great for him with the, the recent Bay face turn and enjoying Hantai and the way he's been getting over with the Japanese crowd. So yeah, he's kind of being the defender of Shinny Han, defender of the Cerulean Blue, defender of the Lion Mark, and wanting to fight the, you know, the evil WWE representative in Carl Anderson. Um, we do have a question here from Matt on Twitter saying, how bad would you feel about yourself if at any aspect of your life you were replaced with Yujiro and people considered it an upgrade? Nobody considers a Yujiro match an upgrade over a Carl Anderson match. I'm sorry <laughs> to tell you. I, I understand the joke, and it's funny, but it's not even kind of accurate because I would rather watch a million Carl Anderson matches than... Well, not a million, but I, I, I'd, I'd rather watch a lot of Carl Anderson matches than a lot of Ejiro matches. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, Hawaiian Punch BB says, last week on Raw, Finn Balor beat Carl Anderson in a singles match. Does that, does that make Finn Balor the lineal, never openweight champion? Shouldn't Balor be the main focus for Hikaleo's inevitable choke slam to hell? That's pretty funny. I didn't know that. I, I don't know because I don't know who the actual lineal never open weight champion is. I mean, it, it, it inevitably is probably not Carl Anderson. You right. got to start, you got to start from the inception of the title and then start with go Tanaka and work yeah. your way up there. Work your way. Who knows? MVP might be champion right now. <laughs> you don't know. It could be Warhorse. You have no idea. Yeah. It could be Jordan grace. It, you know, it, it could have swapped to the, to the other side. You just don't know. It could be anybody. <laughs> The other side. <laughs> oh man! Well, people uh, get weird when you say gender, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody. Oh man! Uh, so Udro and Hikaleo. Uh, so clearly, I think Hikaleo is going to get the the big win here, beat Udro, and continue to, to build momentum until we await the return of Carl Anderson, like you said, which will probably be January fourth in the Tokyo Dome, and Hikaleo will get his big win there. Win the title and, and save the title from WWE and Carl Anderson. Yeah, and all throughout the undercards of this tour the past week, Hikaleo's just looked like a monster. Just he's been fucking up Bullet Club guys. Like, yeah, dude, he, that that choke slam is monstrous. He gets those guys super up there and just drops them. Listen, I I know that like there are fans that don't like the choke slam because you look at the the list of great quote unquote wrestlers that like used it and it's like Undertaker, Kane, Big, Big Show, Kali. You know, it's like big dudes use it. But there was a time, I don't know if you remember Jeremy, but I sure remember when those guys were young and they used bro, when Big Show used to fucking murk people when he was the giant and he would put them all the way up and then fall down with them. Yes. Like it was the best. <laughs> or like when 911 would come out and his whole gimmick was just the choke slam like fools off of shit like it's the best thing ever. Like I, I, I don't like a lazy choke slam, but I love a good, large, impactful fucking choke slam, and that's what uh, Hikaleo does. It's awesome. Yeah, there was one multi-man match where he was up against Suzuki Goon, and Taichi was in there. You know, Taichi likes to choke and do some kind of choke slam kind of stuff sometimes, and he he was trying to choke Hikaleo, but Hikaleo <laughs> proved that his choke was stronger than Taichi's. I forget what the technical term of what Tai Chi does, but it's 
an homage to the Tawe choke slam. It's I don't think it's really called a choke slam, but it essentially is one. But uh, that's what he's doing. He's doing the Tawe move, and it's yeah. a little different. Yeah. Um. Now I don't want to get too much into the weeds with this again. I know we've done a lot of discussion on this for like what three weeks now. Yeah. But uh, you know, last week I said. You were you were basically saying let's just strip Carl, let's be done with it because you don't want to see Carl anyways, right? And I was kind of saying that from a kayfabe perspective, this just seemed like what needed to happen for business. And I am even more firmly of that opinion this week because I want to see Carl Anderson drop the belt to Hikaleo. And now that we've sort of moved away from the discourse a bit, and it's not the talk of the wrestling Twitter and you know, all the different, you know, forum. I don't even know where people talk about wrestling anymore, but the forums and the discords. And now it's more just about the story. Have you moved more to my side with wanting to see Hikaleo get this big, like kind of built up win? Or would you rather New Japan have just audibled away from the guy altogether and done something different? Well, I said last week, I think for from a business standpoint, I do, I do think this probably makes the, the most sense. You want to get, the, the big you want to you know use Carl Anderson you want to get the big win on Hikaleo. So I mean overall, I mean I'm fine with it. I mean I really don't want to watch have to watch Carl Anderson wrestle, but it is what it is. I do think overall it's going to be a great moment for Hikaleo. Like I was saying, you know him being the defender of New Japan Pro Wrestling, especially in this new kind of role being in Hontai and this kind of new expanded version of Gorillas of Destiny um, with him and. Tama and Tangaloa and Jado, um, I think it's going to be something that really elevates him to that next level. You know, we're, we're talking about you know the youth movement that needs to happen. Well, Hikaleo is another guy that was in that young lion class with guys like Narita and, and Umino and that kind of 2017-2018 class. And so him finally kind of getting a big moment, you know, after being you know in the U.S. for a little while now doing stuff with New Japan Strong. I think it's kind of great to get him going, get another young guy going. You know, we have Narita that's getting the push now. I think, yeah, it's, it'd be great to get the push going with Hikaleo as well. Yeah, and again, you know what? It doesn't even have to end up being a long match. I don't know what they'll do. Again, it's a one-night Tokyo Dome. There's going to be a lot of matches. There's going to be a lot of matches that need time. I mean, you could have him go out there, bell rings, grabs Carl, choke slams him, one, two, him three. Yeah. And gets him out of there ASAP and like wrecks Carl Anderson and put him over really strong. Yeah, I mean the the two things I'll say about it is um, one, I do think the fact that even though we mentioned last week there wasn't enough, you know, focus on Hikaleo, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like some of that is starting to shift in this storyline progression. And I feel like that's a good thing. And I do think that this is the most attention the Never Titles had in what feels like forever, probably since at least when Jay White won the title, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, whatever, whenever that was. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's a good thing. And then from the other sense, it's like there were people that were really believing this whole thing was, you know, one thing or the other they thought there was a working relationship with wwe they thought that uh y- you know this was all you know a shoot and the company needed to take action and blah 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 and you know i feel like ultimately the fact that 
they are looking to invest in Hikaleo and give him a moment and really establish him as opposed to acting rashly and potentially harming the belt or even harming the reputation of the company. Although there's definitely things to criticize here for, and we've mentioned them over the past several weeks. Not, we're not shying away from them. Company never should have put the title on a guy that they didn't have an actual contract with. Right. Uh, and that will always be the case. And that's the whole reason we're in this mess to begin with. But I do think the fact that they're trying to give a young guy a moment, keep the lineage of the title somewhat, you know, prestigious and also save face at the same time. I think those are all probably good things in the long, you know, and the, the, the long form storytelling of it all, as opposed to just being like, this guy went to WWE, he went to greener pastures. Now we're stuck. We're going to vacate the belt that I, I understand that people don't want to see Carl Anderson and I'm right there with you, but uh, I'd much rather see Hikaleo get his moment. A guy that, we on this podcast have been invested in for years and years and years. I'm glad that we're probably going to finally get that payoff. Yeah. And we know what we probably could get a video after this match from Carl Anderson saying, you know, I'm only showing up for the biggest and brightest lights. That means Tokyo dome, January 4th. That's when I'll show up to to face you. Yeah. And I hope he fucks him up <laughs> and he's undoubtedly going to fuck up you. Like I don't expect this you match to go very long at all. No. Uh, so then following that, we have the two semifinal matches in the NJPW World Television Title Tournament. So in one semifinal, we'll have Sonata versus Ren Narita. And then the other semifinal will be Zack Sabre Jr. versus Evil. And we had a question here from at Wrestling Dad 101 on Twitter. It says, my heart says Ren Narita. My head says Zack Sabre Jr. as the first NJPW TV champion. Do you guys think NJPW would be uh, fucking surprising everyone and go with Narita? Thoughts? Uh, Well, the good news, we don't have to really answer that question until January 4th. So, I mean, it's going to be November. We got like a month and a half, two months before we actually even have to address that side of things. But that's also supposing that Sonata and Evil don't end up in the finals against each other or somebody else, which Bro, are both when, plausible things. When I looked it down, I, I saw Sonata and evil on, on opposite sides. Like, Oh my oh. gosh. <laughs> like they could do, they could easily do that. To, they to, could easily oh do my that. gosh. And tell that story again. If they do evil and Sonata, it will tell you how, like, um, I don't know what the right word is, but they're just, uh, tone deaf yes yeah. how tone deaf the company is and also lacking in vision that they are because uh, that would just be a it would be a bad idea just across the board that'd be i know that there's a lot of things that people like to point to that are issues with the company blah 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 and some of it is legit and some of it's not but this would be like a big misstep to where like I'd have to really reevaluate how I'm thinking about the booking of this company and yeah, if that's everything. match, throw the belt in the bin, like scrap it, like yeah, this it, <laughs> forget, forget the tournament happened, like it, it'd be horrible with that being the final. So, um, but yeah, I do think that um, they have put themselves in a position though from a booking standpoint where they've got. 
Evil, Sonata, and Zack, who are all three plausible guys who could easily be the first champion in kayfabe. I mean, they all have a lot of accolades and accomplishments and yada, yada, yada. And then you got Narita the Young Gun, who is fresh off excursion, who seems tailor-made for this division. Um, so in that sense, it's been booked well. But if they if we wind up with if we wind up with any situation where Sonata or Evil or a combination of the two end up in the finals, something has gone terribly awry. Yeah. <laughs> um, the nice thing is like there's nine ma- nine matches on this show. And normally if you'd see two singles matches here, you're like, you know, you don't you don't know what, what the time frame's looking like here, but at max you're looking at 30 minutes combined for both matches right so it's like it's gonna be a breeze and that's kind of nice to know that about these types of matches because they're gonna be sprints yeah especially with zach saber and narita like i feel like narita is gonna force sonata to wrestle you know a, a sprint in, in a more serious matchup what saber same thing with evil we've seen saber evil matches um and they actually uh have been decent so like the ones in the g1 and saber again kind of kind of kind of force evil to wrestle a little bit more than he normally does. We know Sabre can eat people up and really make him wrestle his game. Um, so that could end up being a the better evil match in this whole tournament. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping, like most fans, particularly from day one, that we do end up with Ren Arita and Zack Sabre Jr. winning their respective matchups and end up being in the, the finals and facing off at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and I mean, with Sonata, the technical acumen, the roll-ups and crazy submissions, those are all sort of like new tests that Narita has yet to overcome, and maybe he will, maybe he won't. It's hard to say. And then with Zach, it's like, you know what you're getting there, but then Evil has his bag of tricks and his many cheating ways, and so... I am going to predict that it's Narita and Zach because that just seems like from a booking standpoint, the best thing you could do, like the most fun, the most exciting, like the, the most positive direction you could go in. And that's what I'm hoping for. But these are far from open and shut, like foregone conclusions. Like this could go any possible way right now. And also with Zach and evil, didn't Zach beat Evil in like no time in the G1 this past year? Yeah, he beat him in like 30 seconds. So there's also like the revenge aspect where e- and also Evil attack. I don't know if you saw the post match, but uh after they went off the air in the post match comments, like Evil jumped Zach and choked him out and you know tried to get the upper hand leading into this match as well. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, there's a plausible case there, like, all right, Evil's going to get his revenge. He's going to use all the House of Torture gimmicks uh, and distractions to find, to pull one over on Zack. Or you could have the heel getting egg on his face again, where he tries extra hard to beat Zack, but just ends up falling into uh, Zack's trap once again, and Zack beats him even faster. That That would be the best case scenario, I think. Yeah, and I mean, if you're one of those people listening and being like, they're absolutely going to do Narita Zach, it's done deal, like, there's no way they do something different, just think to yourself, two years ago, or a year ago, or what, or yeah, it was like two or three years ago, Sonata was in the G1 Finals against Ibushi. 
Yeah. Evil was the double gold champ in New Japan Pro Wrestling. These are two guys that they like are kind of invested in and could easily they're they're you know easily like put the first title on. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is yeah, this is it's it, in one sense it's it's kind of, it might seem predictable but it's not. It's it's unpredictable. You don't know how Gale's going to book. He could he can go evil Sonata. I mean, he could go Sonata Saber. We know Sonata and Saber have a history. They've wrestled at Wrestle Kingdom before uh, for the Rev Pro uh, British title. Um, and, they, and they have great matches together, too. So, I mean, I guess that's like the, the, the next best option. Um, no, if Narita loses, like, that's Narita should not be out of this tournament. He needs to be in the finals. I'm not saying he needs to win, but he needs to be in the finals. If he's not in the finals after all this build on January 4th, then what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, well, what was the whole point? Like, why didn't he just lose to Ishii then? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna put Sonata and Evil in the youth title, you know, finals <laughs> in Come the on. in the youth high speed exciting title. <laughs> Here's the other thing too: is like as uh, as difficult it is to kind of um, predict these two matches. It's also difficult to predict as to what the quality of the matches are going to be i know that we mentioned they're gonna be short but it's like sonata narita could be great or it could be really bad because sonata's just so inconsistent and you know what zsj and evil it's fucking evil so that could be really great or really bad and i don't know well you know <laughs> what i mean like i just don't know yeah best case scenario two really good matches where Red Narita and Zack Sabre Jr. both win, and, we, and that becomes the January 4th Tokyo Dome match. Yeah, and also there's the whole Shibata connection. Those are the two guys that he wrestled in exhibition matchups, and with Shibata being, you know, Narita's mentor and trainer, like there's a whole story they can do that they could have Shibata present the title at Wrestle Kingdom, make this whole kind of big moment. Um, so I think that's the, the better story. Like you said, the best case scenario um, for this show. Um, so moving on from there, we're having what is billed as the incredible tag match. So we're going to have Hiromu Takahashi, Ellis Parado, Master Wato, and Taiji Ishimori. Um, the tag partners will be decided on November 4th. I know some sites are saying that the match is already decided, but on the site, it said November 4th, they will have the decision on who's going to be teaming up with who. Um, for this incredible tag match, which is previewing the four-way title match coming up January 4th at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't have much to really say here. All throughout the um, Battle Autumn Tour, we've been seeing different collections of Despi, Hiromu, Wato, and Ishimori in multi-man tag matches against one another, and... Um, there's not much really to say about it. It's been somewhat lackluster. It's It hasn't felt like when these guys are in the matches against one another that we're building to any singular focused theme or issue. I, I guess in theory it's all leading to this match, and hopefully this will bring a little bit more focus to this four-way for January 4th. But right now, I have little to no investment concerning it at all. I mean... These these guys might have might as well have just been like random dudes just teaming in undercard preview 
matches with no st- no stakes involved whatsoever because I I haven't there's been no compelling post matches or pre matches or segments in the matches like it's just kind of just been they're there they're all going to fight each other and maybe it's because of the fact that it's a four way that it's lacking focus or lacking heat like uh, for me this is something that I just have very little interest in and it shouldn't be that way considering the principles involved. Yeah, and I'm sure that there's um, some wrench thrown in with their plans with Kushida uh, being out with his, um, you know, the hand for the mouth disease, and clearly he was planning to be in this picture somehow. So I'm sure that's probably thrown off the booking pattern of what they were uh, planning to do here. But I agree with you; there hasn't been a, a ton of buzz or excitement in what's going on with the junior tile picture or these uh, four guys here. So. Yeah, it, it should be you know a fun tag team matchup, and hopefully something comes out of this that will uh, get some interest for the January fourth matchup. So moving on to the next matchup, we're gonna have Kazuchika Okada and Tamatonga taking on the Bullet Club team of Switchblade, Jay White, and Kenta. Also, this is gonna be a, a preview matchup for the Okada. Jay White match coming up at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and we just had another preview match um, this past week dur- during um, Rumble on 44th Street plus the night before Rumble on 44th Street. So this is another in a series of preview matches leading to the January 4th Tokyo match between Jay White and Okada. Um, I don't have much to say here. I mean, this is essentially just a preview tag match. Yeah, it's going to be exactly what we've kind of been seeing um, from these guys, and it should be fun. Uh, yeah. so moving on to the semi-main. I, I do think that we'll see Kenta take the loss here, though, because Tamatonga was recently defeated by Jay White, and I kind of think Okada needs to pick up a win along the way here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okada needs some momentum. I can see Kenta eating a gun stun and giving Tama momentum. Not sure if Tama's going to be in World Tag League. Tangaloa is still out. I mean, you could do him and Hikaleo. Um, so we'll see what they're going to do. Because, like you mentioned, a lot of guys who are kind of, you know, looking for their spot come dome season. Tama Tonga's now in that position as well with him losing that title match and it's kind of questionable if he's going to be in tag league or not. So it's kind of like, all right, where does this guy fit in with all the momentum that he's had um, the latter half of the year? At the same time, when you say people need momentum, it feels like Okada and Jay White both need the momentum. And I don't know, maybe to the detriment of Tama, they have him eat a Blade Runner. We'll see, yeah. So moving on to the semi-main event of the evening, IWGP Tag Team Title Match. The champions, FTR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood finally making it to Japan to defend their titles. And they will defend against Great Okan and Jeff Cobb from the United Empire. A lot of history here with these two teams. Um, They were in the the three-way match at Forbidden Door. With Rapungi Vice, which was the match FTR won the titles uh, by pinning Rapungi Vice, not um, Jeff Cobb and Great Okan. Um, so, kind of some heat here between these two teams. Um, Okan and Cobb have uh, also been one of the top teams in New Japan the last two years now, been very 
dominant FTR super over right now. Three tag team titles um, they're currently holding. Um, so the two top teams uh, from New Japan AEW kind of facing off here finally. Do not be surprised if FTR retain their titles here. Yeah, I won't be surprised. I mean, I know last week I was more in the camp of just having uh, Jeff Cobb and Great Okan being these guys and sending them packing back to AEW. Um, but I could see January 4th something being worked out where you, you have FTR uh, work their way to January 4th and, and drop the titles there. And Cobb and um, Okan having to win World Tag League or be in some kind of tie at World Tag League to find their way back into the title picture. Maybe. It might not be them. Um, I'm not convinced that it's going to be Khan and Cobb winning the belts back on January 4th, although it could be. I'm not opposed to that. Yeah, I mean, Aussie Open's a great option. You could run that back. Especially That's the other thing I was thinking of. Because they just uh, they dropped the strong tag titles, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, and they're finally in Japan. So, yeah, you could have Aussie Open get the rematch of FTR, you know, the anticipated rematch, get the big win, and get the tag titles. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying they're going to do that, but that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, also, I mean, who knows? What if, uh, I mean, we don't know this, but what if uh, Tangaloa is back and we get G.O.D. back? Yeah, they, they could do that too, yeah. That's a possibility. But, um I think this match is going to be really good. Obviously, both teams are really great. Uh, you know, this will get a lot of interest from certain sects of the Western audience that are very much behind FTR. So that's always a positive, and the, the match should deliver. I'm pretty positive right now FTR are going to retain. And the main reason I say that is just because I know for all the criticisms that this show has had about FTR and their title reign and their defenses or lack thereof. It does simplify things a lot when the champions are just not in world tag league, because then you don't, especially in a single block scenario, because you don't have to worry about multiple rematches and future title challengers. You can just have the prize waiting for you on January 4th and let the whole entire world tag league be insulary where those guys are all insulated and fighting each other. And then the winners or winner come out and try to take the belt off these guys in the Tokyo Dome, which is, I think, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And you know, Tony Khan has said he does, he does plan to send people over for Russell kingdom. And this year, Russell kingdom and dynamite are on the same day. Um, but I feel like FTR are guys that you can send over there to Japan and you, you wouldn't really miss them from a dynamite. It wouldn't hurt the rating or probably hurt any storylines that are happening right now. So uh, I think from that standpoint, it works out as well. At the same time, if they do drop the belts to Khan and Cobb, that's a great story. These, this has been one of the most dominant teams all throughout new Japan for several years now with very few losses. So if they pick up the win, I won't be surprised, but it is kind of a nice little feather in the cap of AEW slash FTR because it's like, yeah, they, they weren't very active here, but they got a super meaningful win over one of the best tag teams in the company. And then you come back on January 4th, you drop those belts. 
that just makes more sense from a business perspective to me. That's that's what I think they're doing. I don't think they're coming over here to work this date so that they can not work January 4th. I think that they're, you know what I mean? I, I think that they're going to work Tokyo Dome, and I think they're going as champions. Yeah, and that plays into a question that we got from Bash. Is, do you think FTR makes it Forcible Kingdom for Western fan interest, or they pop the belts on Khan? On the Cobb, and we get Aussie Open versus Con the Cobb or Wrestle Kingdom. No, because I don't think they would do uh, inter or interfactional tag team title matches at Wrestle Kingdom, anyways. Yeah, I mean, I could see maybe a three way where it's Aussie Open versus FTR versus Jeff Cobb and Great Ocon. Um, I could see maybe that if they're if they want to do something like that, but I don't. Yeah, I don't. I doubt we would get straight up. Jeff Cobb and Great Ocon versus Aussie Open. Um, so both going with FTR on that one, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to the main event of the evening. The IWGP United States Heavyweight title will be on the line. The champion, the Commonwealth Kingpin, Will Ospreay, will defend the title against the ungovernable Tetsuya Naito. This is um, interesting because, you know, Will hasn't been on the tour almost at all. So the heat between him and Naito has been non-existent whatsoever. But at the same time, Naito's definitely the deserving title challenger based off his major singles victory over Zack Sabre Jr. over in London. So... Plus the history between these two guys back at the G1 fine or semifinals this past year. Um, thank God that the match is going to be very good considering the people involved, because if not the story, it's pretty lacking. There's very, there's almost nothing behind it. Yeah. But I think the a lot match of, is going to be awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of the heat from this match has just been based off of the G1 match. Like, Hey, we had a, an awesome match in the G1. We're going to do it again here in Osaka. Yeah. And for for all of his, uh, you know, the fact that he wasn't on the tour, Will's done a lot on social media to try and build this up. I don't know how effective that is or isn't, but, you know, hats off to him for making an attempt. But, um, you know, I know wrestling fans can be a little bit, like, uh, spoiled in the fact that we get so much all the time and we never seem happy. But when you do have a major card like this coming up, seems like the people in the main event should be there to some extent building it up. I don't know if that was possible. Who knows what's going on? I mean, granted, both of these guys are probably long overdue for a rest and deserving of it for sure. But at the same time, there is a, there's the show goes on and there's a match to promote. It kind of reminds me of when, um, when Kenny was going to defend the, IWGP title against I believe it was like Ishii or someone like that he just wasn't on the tour and then showed up and defended the title and it was like damn like he was having matches with like Phoenix over in uh, New York instead of like working the show that's sort of what this kind of reminds me of and I'm not sitting here like throwing barbs at Osprey because I don't know his situation but from a promotional standpoint it hasn't really been effective because he hasn't been there so you know, there's there's no heat. Yeah, I do know Osprey had mentioned like planning to reduce his schedule like towards this part of the year and do some some less dates. So 
maybe this was part of that. You know, New Japan let him take this tour off. Um, since you know, obviously he's been killing himself all year long in multiple multiple promotions across the world. Um, so yeah, maybe this was just his time off. Unfortunately, it came when he's you know supposed to be building a, a big U.S. title match. Uh, I mean, World Tag League is coming up. I mean, that's a tour he probably won't need to be on. So it probably would have, I think, maybe could worked out. But it is what it is. He wasn't on tour, but we do know it's going to be an excellent matchup. It should be on the same level from their uh, G1 um, semifinals match uh, this year. And I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's high stakes here, two top main event guys, and it's it's a match that can go either way. And also, you know, both of these guys, you got to figure, are planned into the Tokyo Dome in singles matches in some way. So you, you could have either one of these guys walking into the Tokyo Dome with the title to, right. to set up their match. And both of these guys are big enough stars where they don't need a title to have a hot match at the Tokyo Dome. We know there's the rumored Kenny Omega match for Will Ospreay and um, Kenny and the Bucks are finally off suspension or are going to be coming back to AEW uh, shortly. Um, so you could do Kenny versus Ospreay title or not title. Um, and then, I mean, Naito, there could be somebody from AEW or some other guy who challenges Naito uh, for a big match where Naito wouldn't need the title. Well, you know, Naito had recently uh, done some sort of interview and he mentioned what if there was a name that wasn't in New Japan that was big enough to, you know, kind of break the rules, essentially, almost like saying, uh, you know, open the forbidden door without using the the phrase forbidden door. Mm -hmm. And there's a big match on January 1st happening over in Noah where Shinsuke Nakamura is returning to Japan to wrestle Kiji Muto or the great Muda. And that's just days before this. And for all the talk during this, um, and you know, I shouldn't say that Osprey hasn't been on the tour because he was in the early parts of, of the battle autumn tour, I believe where he was cutting the promos on Naito, but for all the talk of like the icy belt versus the U S belt during the course of this whole thing, I know, like you mentioned, Originally, the thought was they're probably going to have Osprey win and turn that into Osprey versus Omega. I'm just assuming. But what if they pivoted, given the fact that maybe they can't get that match right now just because of the timing and the circumstances? And what if they did do like Naito versus Nakamura? Because uh, he's there and maybe we just don't know about it and it could happen. Or Naito versus Muto, who. They have history with one another. They've actually worked, I believe, the Tokyo Dome against one another in the past. Yeah, they had the genius versus genius match. Um, Those would be the types of names that I think he was alluding to, quote, unquote. The other thing, too, what if for Naito, hypothetically, what if one of the big AEW names like John Moxley, who is the current champion, were up for grab, you know, on the table. Yeah, I mean, Moxley's a guy I've been kind of thinking about just based off his new contract and promotion, and he's going to be, you know, working with the international partners, especially New Japan, and we know Mox loves working the Dome, and that, that would be a big matchup to do Moxley and Naito. Uh, and, or and- even Osprey if they couldn't get uh, Omega because 
he's probably going to, you know, what if that ends up, and they have history with each other this past year as well. Right. Based off the uh, Windy City riot, there was that whole scurry finish there. Um, so, yeah, you could, you could do a big rematch with Osprey and Mox also. Yeah. Because right now, for both of these guys, there just doesn't seem to be, unless you did something creative, I'm not saying it, there's nothing, but right now, on paper, given the trajectory and the slot, the slotting and the placement of all the stars in New Japan, there doesn't seem to be a path after this is over currently for the loser or even the winner for what January 4th holds for either of them. And that's why it feels so open for either one to win, depending on where you wanted to take the booking for either one of them. But it's, it's definitely the case where they're two of the biggest stars in the company it's probably assumed that they're both going to be in some sort of major match at January 4th. And we don't really know who that is going to be right now for either of them. So the chances of retention or a new champ or a new champion are for me like 50, 50 right now. It's really a pick a match. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to you know, say angle alert here. I think we're going to get something at the end of this match. that will definitely set up the winner's match uh, for Wrestle Kingdom. The only other two places where something like that could essentially be the case is the historic crossover or World Tag League Finals, because that's kind of the rest of the calendar. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to think here. I, I, I am excited for the match because given how... I do think that they have a, a pretty high mark to hit i don't know if they can go out there and put on the same kind of match they did the first time but i am looking forward to it because i think it's gonna be good but uh i think naito's gonna win the title yeah i feel with him already losing to osprey this year i think he gets the win back and yeah he goes into the dome with the, with the red strap yeah and i mean that would be something that would be good for the lineage of the title as well. He's a guy that he's never held that belt. They're trying to establish it as the number two belt in the company. And they've had good champions, but for better or for worse, Tetsuya Naito is still one of the absolute top stars for the domestic audience in Japan and putting putting the red belt on him goes a long way to telling the audience that, Hey, this is like, you know, the top, you know, one of the top belts in the company and kind of putting it back on the same level as the IC strap was. Yeah. The other thing too is, Oh, I remember what it was. The reason he was talking about trying to fight someone from the outside is because he was, speculating on the idea of what if there was a big enough match for him to where they could, he was talking about how there didn't seem to be as much intrigue concerning Okada and Jay White. And what if there was a way for them to get him a big enough opponent to where they could put the thing up to a fan vote (laughs) and maybe he can headline over Okada and Jay White. (laughs) (laughs) This man's so obsessed with that idea, but like, You'd have to imagine that if that were the case, he would need a really big opponent. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of speculated on Nakamura because who usurped him in the past? It was Tanahashi and Nakamura. 
who has the longest, you know, um, history with the white strap aside from him, it's Nakamura and Nakamura's in town. And I don't know if I'm, I don't know if WWE would say yes to this, but I didn't think they'd say yes to him wrestling Muto uh, at Budokan Hall. So why not just let him fucking wrestle, you know, Naito in the dome? Yeah, I mean, I think the only problem with that is um, New Japan has a, a U.S. presence and is trying to crack into the U.S. market and is clearly aligned with AEW. Um, sure. So, I mean, I have a hard time seeing them allowed Nakamura to do that, but, I mean, never say never in the wrestling business. and it, it's Weird shit's happening in 2022. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing with them even, like, working with Noah, and also that gives me the heebie-jeebies altogether because I thought... I thought NXT Japan, the whole prospect of it was long dead and gone. And now I'm nervous because this man, Triple H, seems to be dead set on correcting his, you know, failures and his mistakes and correcting course and going back to what he was doing before Vince and AEW and uh, Riho ruined his, <laughs> ruined his plans. And, you know. He's gonna hi- he hired all the same goons that they'd fired the, the ones that either were or weren't working. Regardless, he brought all his boys back, brought back all his production team, and you know he's making all these changes. And one of the things, I mean, they're talking about it again. They're talking about NXT Mexico. They're talking about NXT Japan, and like they were trying to buy Japanese companies the last time. This shit did not work out in the UK. And I am very nervous that, like, this guy, they, they've got the money to do it, that they're going to come here. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit back and if they end up ruining Perezu, I'm going to be like, was it worth it? Was it worth it to get one takeover match with, what did we get out of it? What did we get? We got Liger in New York on a takeover. We got Kenta working a anniversary show with Marafuji, and you got Nakamura working, you know, Budokan Hall against Great Muta. Was that worth it? <laughs> <laughs> to prostitute <laughs> Ricky Dozon's legacy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's our preview of uh, Battle Autumn in Osaka. <laughs> What a way to end the, the, the preview. <laughs> uh, we did have some questions here from MJSPR. It says, is there a single compelling story involving a title being told right now in Chinihon? He said, why is every title picture an absolute disaster? What do you guys do to get us back to the pre-2020 glory days? So, I mean, he's saying, like, all these title pictures are just a complete mess right now, basically. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, like we mentioned, the U.S. title picture, there wasn't a lot of build to this match. I mean, the build was this is a rematch, and I think what they've been doing with Osprey and the U.S. title has helped that title, and I think an Osprey-Naito match is compelling, second time ever. Um, junior tag title match, I, I like what's going on there with um, United Empire and LIJ. Also, the Never title, that's that situation's a hot mess. We've talked about that. Um, I mean, Okada J. White, I, I know a lot of people are not as into it, but, I mean, that's a, a big program, history, rivalry. Um, Okada hasn't beaten J. White in the Dome yet. Um, I feel like it's, there's a good story there. 
junior titles kind of meh uh, with the, the four way. See, I I think the the question is, is it compelling or is it just not hot? You know. Yeah. Because the stories are in, not all of them, obviously, but some of the stories are logical and well booked and well laid out and make sense. They're just not hot right now, you know. Mm-hmm. And that might change by the time we get to January fourth. Like we're gearing up for Tokyo Dome season, but um, I feel like the the TV title. And the women's title that are coming are both pretty interesting, especially, I mean, obviously that's different because they're new and inaugural, but um, I would say the strong titles right now, let's put that aside. I'd say the never title and the junior title are both kind of like blah right now. But like, like you said, I think the junior tag team titles, they're doing a good job with. I think the, the world title you know, it, there could be more exciting things going on with it, but it's it, it, to say that it's not compelling. I don't know. That might be a little bit of a stretch because, you know, I, I feel like they've got two of the top stars going to the for the top prize on the top stage. It just makes, I don't know, it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then the U.S. title. Yeah, it's been fucked all year, but they're doing their best to repair it and they've got two guys that went out there and had a incredible, incredible match during, I don't know. I don't feel like that one's bad at all. Yeah. I, I think that that's a pretty good scenario there of Naito and Osprey. And I, I think we've got time. I think we got time to get stuff on course as far as like, uh, get things back on, you know, to pre 2020 glory days. I do think that the company is doing a lot of the things that need to be done. You know, and I, this isn't some cap talk just because we like the brand, but like they're bringing guys back from excursions. They're speeding up the progression of a lot of those guys. The the they're working with outside companies both domestically and abroad. Um, they've been having all sorts of new types of programs and and ways of doing things like this fifteen minute title, like the women's stuff different things to like bring different sets of eyes and audiences to new Japan. They're allowing a lot of the dads to go out on excursion, which is creating new space for some of the younger guys to get more, you know, uh, experience and ring time. And they're going back to one night of the dome, not convoluting it. And, having it be a showcase of the top stars and then we're going to get um, New Year's Dash. Those are all the things that that we loved about this company in the past. And, you know, for me, it's hard to complain about things when everything is really moving in a positive direction, even though it's maybe not as fast as a lot of people want it to be. Yeah, and we talked about this in the past with the pipeline, too, of, of young guys that are coming. I mean, the U.S. pipeline with that the, the L.A. dojo. You look at who's on excursion right now. The, the Tamahashi stuff and that dojo um, that's going on right now. Also, people in the Noge dojo. Like, there's so much talent that's in the pipeline. Then you look at guys who are on New Japan Strong, um, the AEW partnership. There's so much going where they, they can bring people in, get some fresh matchups, some fresh programs. 
I'd make some changes about what they're doing in the U.S. for sure. But overall, I think things are moving in a very positive direction currently. Well, uh, speaking of things in the U.S., that's a good segue to jump into the two pay-per-view events that happened last week. Let's start with the night before Rumble on 44th Street, a Halloween special is aired on Fight TV October 27th. Um, first, I got to say, Josh, what were your overall thoughts on the production look and feel of both this show and the, the next night's show, the, the Rumble on 44th Street? I thought they were very good, actually, for the most part. Uh, there's a couple small things that I, I, I'm not going to say nitpick because I think that they were, they weren't things that brought down the enjoyment overall of the show, but they were things that really do make a big difference. But as far as like video quality, the video production, the, you know, the lighting, it all seems like, um, I don't want to say major league because this didn't come off like major league. This came off like major league indie. Essentially what most of these U S new Japan shows are, are top of the line indie shows with big stars involved. They're not pay-per-view quality shows in the sense of like competing. Like when you put them in the same level of a WWE or an AEW or even a major new Japan show they're not the same level as those ple's or pay-per-views but when you compare them to what are probably closer contemporaries in like pwg gcw impact that sort of thing they're pretty comparable so and considering all the snafus they've had in the past there were very few hiccups if any at all the things i did not like even though I thought the lighting was good so that you could see the ring and everything, you could not see the audience at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that these weren't big shows, but there was like, at least for the second night, for sure. There was over that just slightly over a thousand people there, the way that the audio and the lighting was, you wouldn't be able to tell if it was 50 people or 1,050 people, because it just didn't look like it at all. It was very, very, very dark. The other thing, too, is that New Japan has this uh, tendency on the uh, America shows, especially with Strong and stuff, where they keep the hard cam facing the entrance, which I get why they do that, because they have the displays and everything, and Impact does it, Ring of Honor used to do it. But I don't know. As a fan, I'd rather see the audience, and not seeing the audience makes it feel even smaller time than it actually even was. They did a pretty good house, not a great house, but they did a strong number in New York and you just couldn't tell at all. Yeah. I mean, I thought the production was okay. Um, like you said, honestly, I, I felt like I was watching an, an FIP show um, with, with just the look of the show and the, the quality of the production. I mean, there were some, some audio issues. Sometimes the crowd would be super hot. Sometimes the crowd would be down just based on the audio volume sometimes you know the, the backstage segments were super low yeah and then sometimes Ian Riccoboni would be like yelling in your ear because he was turned up um so loud and like you mentioned it was just very dark um not a ton of lights didn't really feel 
like a big production. And, you know, they made a big deal about New Japan coming back to New York. You know, last time they were there, 2019, Madison Square Garden, like that was a big deal. Great production, sold out, you know, super big house. You know, me and you were there in person. Um, what what a great show that was. Then you compare that to like this is supposed to be the big homecoming of New Japan back in New York, and they're in this little tiny building, which we've already talked about, you know, thousand fans, and then they're it's super dark, doesn't look like a big time production. Like you said, it looks like we're watching Defy or GCW or MLW, you know, some, you know, lower rent promotion and I, I do think I would say this. I think that the production level is lower than say impact and ring of honor was but higher than the rest of those companies yeah you know it's like the middle ground between those two at least on this not not always but on these shows these two in particular i feel like it was slightly above like a defy or an fip or an evolve but definitely lower than an impact or an roh yeah so uh the first night the night before October i will 20- say this I didn't think I was going to like this first night show with it being Mystery Vortex and everything, but it's something a lot of people listening probably don't know about me. Big time horror fan. Halloween, love it. Here's how Here's how big of a, of a fan I am. I've got a running catalog list of every single horror movie I've ever watched, ranked by year. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime you mix wrestling with Halloween slash horror I'm always going, not like, not like the goofy stuff, not like, uh, not like the swamp fight in WWE, but like, you know, Halloween habit, shit like this. It works for me. I like this sort of (laughs) stuff. And then like, there were so many like cool surprises of people I didn't expect to see on the show. Like this was a fun night. Yeah. So like you mentioned, a mystery vortex card, none of the matches were announced. Only we knew that people who were on the poster would be in action. There would be a lot of other surprises. So show opened up. We had Kevin Knight in the DKC. They defeated a reuniting forever hooligans, Alex Kozloff and Rocky Romero, our good friend. Um, they had a video package that had this kind of, you know, Rocky seeing a counselor, psychiatrist, and it ended up being Alex Kozloff and this whole kind of video thing to introduce that, you know, forever hooligans are back together. I liked that. Uh, it, it was, like, kind of scary. It was good. Yeah, kind of like this freaky. You get, like, multiple calls loss, like, talking to Rocky at one point. And, uh, yeah, all to intro- reintroduce, you know, Forever Hooligans back together. They're teaming first time, you know, all, since 2015. Uh, Alex Kozlov's first, like, tag, straight-up tag match since, like, 2015. He looked uh, good. He yeah. looked really good. Yeah, I know. I think a uh, knee injury is the thing that's, that's kind of slowed him down. But, yeah, he looked really good, look, looking shape. Uh, him and Rocky had a lot of their same, you know, forever hooligans, uh, double team moves that looked pretty good. Uh, also, there's a lot of uh, still some miscommunication, just those guys are kind of arguing with each other. Um, you know, they're going for like the forever like drop kick thing, and Rocky was continuing to bounce the ropes, and Kozlov got impatient and hit him with a uh, atomic drop, and they're arguing back and forth. And I think also their their mistiming and arguments led to Kevin Knight and the DKC getting the win here. Yeah. I thought this was pretty fun. I thought it made a lot of sense considering uh, the young lion team were headed into a title shot the next night. Plus Kozlov coming off this long, long, long layoff and the, the infrequency of tagging with Rocky for years and years. They haven't tagged. So 
just kind of made sense. Very, very fun and very surprising to see forever hooligans. Didn't expect that at all. Yeah. Then following that non-title match, we had the strong openweight champion, Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser, defeating Crowbar. Yes, Crowbar from WCW Thunder (laughs) took on Fred Rosser. This was so cool just to see Crowbar there. Both these guys, New Jersey natives. Crowbar's worked for literally every major company on Earth except probably New Japan. So to see him work a New Japan ring against a, a, a contemporary guy like uh, Fred Rosser was really cool. Plus uh, Fred Rosser, the story going into this match was that he had an open challenge for the next night for the strong title. And nobody really knew who the, 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 the challenger was going to be. Could it be crowbar? Could it be, you know, crowbar trying to soften him up to prep him for a title challenge the next night or, something of that ilk and we weren't really sure who it was going to be but um crowbar definitely didn't go out there and like you know set the world on fire but just seeing him you know um in the new japan ring on a fun night like this was pretty cool and entertaining and fred rosser beat him as he should yeah then uh after the match rosser was cutting a promo um talking about how much he loves new japan asking who's next then out comes jonathan gresham to answer the challenge, cut the promo and response. One thing I gotta say about Rosser, we talked about this before with his post-match promos. He'll be like, who's next? Then somebody comes out, he'll be like, why are you out here? <laughs> <laughs> like, bro, you just gave an open challenge. That's what he's doing out there. <laughs> there. There's so many things I do like about Fred Rosser, but there are certain things about, like, like that that just don't make sense. Like, he's like, how dare you come out and challenge <laughs> Bro, you have an open challenge, my guy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you said, I invite any one of you to come out here. And then he's like, the hell are you doing on my in my ring? <laughs> oh, you want my belt? Disrespect. <laughs> you disrespect the champion? <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? Have you never watched New Japan? Like, people just come out. Even if you didn't say open challenge. Like, people come out and challenge. Like, come on, man. <laughs> Another thing, too, is like, in the middle, he's like, uh, I'm gonna tell you the same thing I told the last challenger. When you after you face me, you're gonna leave with two belt, two boots on, the the two boots on your feet. <laughs> what? <laughs> and the boot I put up your ass. <laughs> like, bro, what you said just does not make sense yeah, at all. Like, I'm not trying to lie. The fuck is that? Mean? <laughs> Bro, thank God he wasn't in there with like CM Punk or or like uh, Eddie M- Kingston or, or MJF. MJF or John Moxley because they would tear him to shreds, bro. Yeah, You're like the fuck you talk about boost for dog. You can give me a tile shot or not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. and then and then Jonathan Gresham has the audacity to cut this, you know, anime ass. Fucking... <laughs> He's like. He's like, you're going to have to face the best technical wrestler in the world, which is me. And he, like, does this, like, anime pose. I'm like, bro, like, what are you, why are you watching My Hero Academia? Like, oh, my gosh. Go go watch a Ric Flair promo. I don't know, man. You know, watch the Roddy Piper. Like, what are you doing? Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. That, that... Had his, he had glasses on, and he took them off, and he, like, swung his foot, his, like, jacket back, and he looked up, he looked up, like, into the lights, like, 
what what where are you looking <laughs> what are you doing yeah this whole segment just oh my gosh and then what you know what i'm not i'm not opposed to jonathan gresham i'm not a jonathan gresham hater i know there's a uh there's a lot of hate that's come his way recently probably a lot of it deservedly um to some extent but He's just always seemed like a guy that fits in the New Japan environment, and he's always done really well here. And maybe he didn't fit in AEW, but I do think he fits in New Japan really well. But uh, this whole thing was weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so following that, we had Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis. They defeated the SAT, Joel Maximo and Jose Maximo. Uh, the Maximos, I mean, innovators with a Spanish fly, like super flippy dude tag team in, in the 2000s, a very innovative team from the Northeast. A, a lot of the spots you see today, these guys um, kind of invented and, and did all throughout the Indies. Um, so it's kind of a fun matchup, short matchup here uh, against Aussie Open. You know, I've never seen a Maximo match ever before. So uh, and I know it's like, kind of sacrilegious to say because of how influential they are. And I know they're like around during the early days of ROH, but like I was kind of cherry picking that shit back kind of the same way with Noah. Like when in the early two thousands, I would watch what Noah and ROH I could even get my hands on if I was even able to. So it's not like um, I was always that aware of a lot of these. I knew, I knew the names, but I, I never saw the SAT back in the day, you know? I saw them in the uh, the original MLW run. Um, I think that was like an 04, mm. uh, the first time the company was running. I saw them. They were one of, the, one of the top teams in that promotion. But, I mean, that's a pretty cool surprise. I mean, they're natives to that area, you know, New York natives, I believe, or, you know, definitely from the Northeast. And uh, seeing them in Aussie Open was like kind of a cool thing. And I, I would be opposed to them coming back and, you know, maybe working strong or something like that. I, I thought they still look good. Yeah, look good. They came with a bunch of guys in monkey suits called uh, their spot monkeys. That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, fun match up here with Aussie Open. And, yeah, they were good promos. Yes. Yeah. They, uh, there was a pre match, like, uh, vignette introducing them. That was really good. Yeah. I thought the pre match promo, like, sold me on them. I'm like, all right, these dudes are going to show up and, you know, show these dudes why they're actually the best. I'm all about that. Let's do this. <laughs> Uh, following that, we had a four-way match with Speedball Mike Bailey defeating Mascarada, Mighty Monte, and Smiley. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Mighty Monte and Smiley, but you know they seem to be uh, regulars of the House of Glory promotion, which are somewhat partnering with New Japan when they come to New York. Um, but I definitely know Mike Bailey, and I know Mascarada. I thought this match was fun for what it was. I saw some people really hyping it. I saw some people hating on it. I'm kind of in the middle. It was sort of like your indie flippy do showcase four way match. There was definitely some. I, you know what? I did not like the finish. The finish was cool. They had a finish where like Dorada got isolated and was on the outside and kind of taken out of the equation. And so it, it kind of broke down to Bailey, Mighty Monte, and Smiley. And at the very end. Monte and Smiley were trying to set up for some sort of move, and they were just in position for a long time. And then Mike Bailey did his, you know, come off the top rope and hit him with the double knees. Mm-hmm. But the the amount, which was cool, but the amount of time that they, you, you always hear that uh, criticism of like this style of wrestling where 
guys do things that don't make sense and they're standing in place for too long, anticipating a move that's coming. And some, some of that criticism is not valid. But when it's like this, it's absolutely valid. These guys just stood there and stood there and stood there and stood there. And then he did his cool shit. It's like, find a way to do the cool shit, but like do it organically. Like I did not like the finish, but overall the match was very fast paced, very, very fun. Everybody was doing wild stuff. Very fun. Yeah, I agree with you. I I thought the match was very fun. Enjoyed it. Lots of cool flips. Big fan of speedball. uh, Mike Bailey. Um, so yeah, I hope that he's we get some more New Japan dates on him. Uh, the remainder of this year and going into next year. But yeah, like you mentioned, fun kind of flippy exhibition style indie cluster four way match. So then, following that, we had Minoru Suzuki taking on Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. I think this is the first time Tracy Williams has been on a New Japan of America show. Maybe he's he's done some strong before. Um, but a, a big opportunity here for Suzuki. Um, you know, this was was a good match. I mean, to me, this was kind of the typical Suzuki U.S. match formula. Um, you know, doing the faces, doing the, the chops and, and the strikes, and um, just kind of going through the the motions of a uh, U.S. Suzuki match. I mean. Uh, hot sauce tried. I thought he tried really hard, but I feel like Suzuki was just kind of doing his his stick here. I don't have much to add to that because you took the words right out of my mouth. I could elaborate on that more and say the exact same things that you said, but literally, you put it perfectly. This was exactly that. It was a U.S. Suzuki indie match to the T, and it was very formulaic. It was still good. And I, I thought Tracy Williams looked good, and I'm glad to see him back coming off of a, a long layoff from a, what they thought was a career-threatening injury. From that car but, accident, yeah. So I'm glad to see him back, and he's he's a guy I'd like to see in strong some more, maybe even you know get some dates. But uh, you, know, it, you can't complain too much about those types of Suzuki matches, but you can't hype them up too much either because they just they are what they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for the live audience, they're great. They're very fun. They're very entertaining, but they're just not notable. Right. I mean, if it's your first time seeing Suzuki, you're probably going to love it in person. But, I mean, if it's like you've seen him live, you've seen him wrestle for so long, like, you know the game plan. Well, the the, the issue is that people see them uh, on the smaller stages, whether it's a GCW or Glory Pro or whatever, AAW, and they're like, man, Suzuki versus... You know, whoever was, you know, Warhorse or whoever was really cool. And then you go, you seek it out, and you're like, this isn't even as good as what he, he, you know, this is just the same match I've seen him do a million times. Yeah. Uh, So then following that, we had Shingo Takagi defeating Jake something, 14 minutes, 17 seconds. Um, Again, another really good match. I felt the match was kind of slow in the, the first half and then really picked up on the second half. Um, really hard hitting Jake something a uh, big hoss guy, and so I thought he looked good there with Shingo, the, the closing stretch, and uh, yeah, Shingo gets the, the big win here. Yeah, I thought Shingo was a little bit more motivated here in this singles match than maybe say like Suzuki was in the match prior, but they were both very good matches. Again, cool to see Jake something be the surprise opponent, and for a lot of people, this is probably the match of the night. Um, maybe for me too, I don't know. 
but it was very good. They went sub 15 minutes and went out there and they told a great story, had a very good match. Jake, something there's some, you know, I know it's, I've said this before, but uh, he has something. I like him for whatever reason. I, I can't really put my finger on it. Maybe it's because he's kind of a throwback to the big muscle guys, mm-hmm. you know, that I grew up on, but like, he's got a look. And not like in a killer crossway where like he's got to look, but he can't work. Like he has a look and he can work. He's not the greatest worker, but he he's not someone that th- totally doesn't fit in. And I thought the match with Shingo here was pretty good. Yeah, Jake, something I've always been impressed anytime I've seen him. I believe he's left impact. So it'd be cool if we get him more on New Japan strong. Uh, but yeah, he's always fun to watch and enjoy this matchup here with Shingo. So then moving on from that, the main event of the show, uh, the, the Josh Smith special elimination match. So we had the team of Kazuchika. But before you get into it, did you watch this this week's uh, ex- or recommended match of the week? Yes, I did. Okay, so we'll talk about that later. But you can see why that's the type of match that I like and not this type of match. This is not the Josh Smith special. The Josh Smith <laughs> special is like, 30 years old. <laughs> um, so, yeah, elimination matchup here. We had Kazuchika Okada, Yo, Amazing Red, Eddie Kingston, Homicide, and John Moxley all teaming up together. And they defeated the uh, team of El Fantasmo, Jay White, Rock Hard Juice Robinson, Team Filthies, Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, and Filthy Tom Lawler, 29 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, so big, you know, multi-man matchup here. Lots of stars here. Uh, we had Team Filthy, you know, rocking the, the evil nun demon <laughs> costumes. Um, Were you offended? Uh, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, wrestling has done so much <laughs> to, uh, you know, be blasphemous and do stuff like that. So to me, I was just kind of like, whatever it is. I know like filthy love, like sister act thing. And he's kind of doing like the evil nun things. I was like, it is what it is. Well, at first, like I didn't really care about that too much, but then like there was a part in the match where like Jarrell Nelson was like praying for the crowd, (laughs) which in a way, like it's not cool because it is kind of blasphemous, but it was like from a heat standpoint, kind of, kind of silly. Cause he's like, God, Please smite these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. But, um, you know, I could see how people might not, you know, appreciate that or take that the right way. I was kind of looking at that a little bit sideways. Yeah. But, uh, so like, I mean, again, it's it's poor wrestling, and I, I know stuff like that's going to happen. And like you said, it, it, it kind of worked. It was kind of a goofy comedy heat, but it was kind of training that line of like, eh, eh, lightning bolts going to come hit this ring. <laughs> you, you notice that chaos was Okada and Yo and not Amazing Red. No longer, mm. apparently, I don't know how, because he never was ousted, but he was a chaos member, but I guess not. Well, you know, his connection to chaos was Osprey. Right. Osprey left, or maybe that, maybe when Osprey left, all of his, all of his dudes got ousted too. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah this was very star studded and that was like okay this on paper or at least from like a, a a match quality standpoint wasn't the match of the night but because of the crowd reactions 
it, it for me this was the match of the night there was no match on this evening that really just stood out it was like oh you got to check this out i mean i could see someone really loving the four way with all the high flying or the jake something versus shingo match but to me i liked the elimination match the most just cuz it was fun and the drama of having like all the surprises amazing red and john moxley and you know all that was really really cool and then um you know, they went a long time, 29 minutes and 14 seconds. The only thing is nobody really had their working boots on. Like it didn't feel at any point, like these guys were taking this match seriously at all. Like it was just kind of like your house show special. Like they just went out there, went through the number, you know, paint by numbers. Um, it wasn't like, uh, anyone really stood out and had an amazing performance, but it was fun. And the crowd was really into it. Yeah, uh, totally agree with you there. Um, so the, the eliminations, yeah, uh, Isaacs and Nelson eliminating Yo, Amazing Red, then eliminated Nelson, then Isaacs eliminated Amaz- Amazing Red, then Homicide eliminated Royce Isaacs, Filthy Tom eliminated Homicide, uh, then you had Moxley eliminating Phantasmo, Lawler, then Jay White eliminated Okada, um, G- John Moxley eliminates Juice Robinson and you're down to Moxley and Kingston and just Jay White and Moxley and Kingston eliminate Jay White so your sole survivors, the AW guys John Moxley and Eddie Kingston the, the coolest part at the end was just having John Moxley and Jay White who were held off most of the match finally standing toe to toe champion versus champion not something I really expected to see that evening which was pretty fun but I forgot Kingston was still in there and then then when you realize like, oh shit, it's the two of them against Jay White, like it was pretty much a done deal. But at the same time, they had to project protect Jay White. They could have easily pinned him, but like Kingston was like, let's throw this motherfucker over the ropes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they got rid of him that way. So they still like quasi protect him, but he definitely like did a job. Yeah. Um, so a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV says a surprise card show seemed like a fun show with a bunch of surprises. With Crowbar making an appearance, which former WCW wrestler is next? Above average, Mike Sanders? <laughs> former Rocky Romero tag team partner Alex Kozlov made his return. Which tag team partner is next? Ricky Reyes? After they dropped the Black Tiger thing? After the SAT, which early 2000s indie tag team is next? Um, Yeah, what happened to Black Tiger Mask? He just disappeared. They never paid that off on in any way, what shape, or form. Yeah, they probably realized what horrible shape he was in and was just not delivering. And they probably were like, you know what? We're just going to scrap this. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to just treat these questions as being rhetorical. Although I like the suggestions like uh, above average Mike Sanders, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have the capacity to delve into early 2000s indie tag team wrestling and WCW and Rocky Romero's long history of tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to Rumble on 44th Street, which was the, the following evening, October 28th. We had a pre-show match. We had uh, Kylie Ray and Tierra James defeating the Cosmic Angels team of Mina Shirakawa and Waka uh, Sukiyama. Yeah, I saw this. Um, I didn't think it was very good, to be honest with you. Um, and I wanted it to be good, but it just kind of wasn't. I would say if I was someone on the fence about buying the pay-per-view, 
and this was the pre-show and I was tuning in, this would not in any way compel me to purchase the pay-per-view. Yeah, and that's usually the job of the pre-show matches to make you want to stick around for the rest of the show. And yeah, this, this was not the best offering here. Yeah. Plus, like, um, now I will say this, like, I like Mina. I don't know much about her, but I like Mina. But, um, yeah, this didn't necessarily, this didn't feel like a, a, for for all of the hype about stardom being showcased on this pay-per-view, this wasn't a very, this didn't feel like a really good showcase of stardom talent um, in this particular match. So, yeah. So then the, the main card opened up with the House of Tortures show and Yujiro Takahashi defeating the Chaos team of Rocky Romero and Yo. Um, seven minutes, 42 seconds. Um, fine matchup. I think the, the big thing here was what happened post-match. After the match, um, House of Tortures continuing to attack Rocky and Yo. And then out comes Leo Rush to make the save. Um, then post match promo, we find out that Yo made the call to Leo Rush. They're they're throwing up Rapungi 3K signs, and Leo Rush accepts being Yo's partner for the Super Junior Tag League. Um, so we we know one of the teams now, a new team. People are calling them Lee Yo. Uh, what are your thoughts on Leo Rush coming out here and Leo and Yo teaming up, Jeremy? I could not give a single fuck about <laughs> Leo Rush coming back to New Japan. And let me tell you why. Because I can't remember how many times he has left and returned at this point in just the past like two years, three years altogether. Um, literally, when this was on the screen, my girlfriend was like, he's back again? Like, how many times has this dude left and come back? She's like, that should be a bit. And I was like, I can't turn that into a bit because it would require me to go look. <laughs> and I don't really know which companies do or don't count. What I do know is he keeps leaving and he keeps coming back, but not having great matches all along the way. So there's nothing for me right now at this point to really get excited about i know people have been wanting for a long time for leo rush to come to japan in theory that sounds so cool but we had him on strong and then he left and then he got hurt and then he was in aw and then he wasn't there and then he was in gcw but then he retired but then he didn't retire and then he said he was gonna retire and then he didn't retire and then he came back and got he, hurt was again. Talking, he got hurt again he's talking about going back to nxt you know there was a time where I thought this guy, when I saw him in ROH, I was like, he is so special and he is going to be one of the greatest talents of his generation. And it just hasn't happened. And I, I would love for it to happen. I would love for him to come to Japan and turn everything around and make me care again. That's your job, Leo Rush. Make us care because right now I don't give a fuck. And you picked the worst partner you picked yo. Oh my god! How am I supposed to care about you when you team with yo? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm excited for just a, a fresh team, a fresh, you know, fresh faces in, the, in that junior tag division, in that junior tag league. Um, but yeah, it's, he's gonna have to make us care. He's gonna have to show up to Japan and yeah, get over and have some good matches and work. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll and see. be consistent. 
Yeah, that's that's the main thing. Consistency. I mean, guy has all talent in the world. Super talented. Um, you know, great athlete. Um, but yeah, the consistency is missing there. Uh, we have a question from Dark Soldier. It says, if Rocky Romero ever gets a junior title match, will you guys be there to support him? He is a friend of the show. I don't know. I, I can't commit to that because, you know, if it's like in, you know, some part of Japan that I, I don't know about it in time and I don't have the money to get there, but, you know, how am I supposed to commit to that? But if I could, would I? Sure. Yes. Worst case scenario, we'll, we'll be there in spirit. He also says, uh, Leo Rush is back, dot, 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 again. <laughs> when will his next retirement be? Yeah, I, I've said my comments about it. I, I don't want to bury the guy any further. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he sticks around a little bit longer here. But, yeah, I mean, his, his reputation uh, precedes him. And so, it, yeah, like you mentioned, it's kind of difficult to, to get excited uh, based off of that. So, next matchup was for the strong open weight Tag team titles, the champions, Aussie Open, defended against the Motor City Machine Guns and Kevin Knight in the DKC. And we have new strong openweight tag team champions, the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley and Chris Sabin, win this three-way match to become the second and new strong openweight tag team champions. I hope someone took my advice last week, put some money on this like I said to do. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely you had the vision on that last week. You called it. Um, this was a really fun, um, you know, kind of a sprint tag team match with all three of these teams. Um, high flying, high pace, fun action. Um, machine guns getting the win over uh, the young line team there. So Aussie Open drops the belt without getting pinned, which could leave the door open for a rematch in the future. Um, and now we have this established team of the Motor City Machine Guns uh, carrying the, the strong open weight tag team titles. Tiger Hattori loves the Motor City Machine Guns. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was so excited to give them the belts. <laughs> he was so excited. Um, yeah, it was fine. It was fun. It was exactly what I said it was going to be last week. And I, I fully expect big things for Aussie Open in Japan moving forward. I think that's the only reason they did this. Yeah. Uh, following that, we had the return of Alex Coughlin, the android. He made his way to the ring, issued a challenge to J.R. Kratos, who was not there. I um, love it. He's still <laughs> still on this Kratos kick. Like, it's great. <laughs> um, and then he says that uh, he will be in action during the World Tag League Tour. So don't know if that, that makes me think that Kratos is going to be in World Tag League. Maybe. So, yeah, I'm not sure if he was saying, like, he's in the tag league, or he's just going to be on like the undercard of the tour. Um, so I guess it depends. Um, yeah, what's happening there. So we'll see. I don't know, but I think Jared Kratos is a guy that needs to tour Japan. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, him and filthy or him and someone else, like, uh, I don't know who else, but limelight maybe, but limelight seems too small to do world tag league. That's true. That's right. That's a heavyweight uh, tournament. I think it would need to be Filthy Tom Lawler. Yeah, probably Filthy. That makes more sense, yeah. But it could be someone else. I don't know. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I would love for both those guys to be on the tour together. So then following that, we had the strong open weight title on the line. and Oh, also, Alex Coughlin has a new shirt, and it's modeled after the Thing poster, and John Carpenter's the Thing, and it it's so cool. 
I want to get one. It's great. Yeah, it's a pretty dope looking shirt. Um, so strong boy title match. We had Fred Rosser successfully defending the title against Jonathan Gresham, fourteen minutes thirty seven seconds. Match was fine. Um, in fact, I thought it was very good, but. I was just nervous that Jonathan Gresham was going to beat him. Not because I don't like Jonathan Gresham, but because um, this is the most plausible that any challenger has felt to Jonathan or to Fred Rosser since he won the title. And I felt like it kind of was coming out of nowhere. Like, I don't like the idea of a surprise opponent being the guy that wins the title. I, I I'd rather it be something a little more established and long lasting. Yeah. So from that aspect, I, I was kind of dreading the match a little bit, but I was glad to see Fred Ross retain. Uh, wouldn't be opposed to Gresham holding that belt in the future or even getting a, a rematch at some point, but uh match was pretty good. It, it wasn't great, but it was, you know, for the time they were given, it was pretty good. Yeah, I thought, like, same thoughts here. I thought it was a very good matchup. thought Ross looked good there with Gresham. And, yeah, I think, like mentioned earlier, I think Gresham's a guy who fits into New Japan and could be a, an asset, especially to New Japan Strong. Also, two African-American wrestlers wrestling for a title, second time in recent memory that that's happened, and it's becoming less and less of a rare occurrence, which is a good thing. Definitely. Uh, following that, we had an announcement that uh, New Japan is going to be returning to San Jose for Battle in the Valley on February 18th. Um, then we moved into a six-man tag match. We had Homicide, Shota Umino, and Wheeler, Utah, defeating the Team Filthy team of Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, and Filthy Tom Lawler. This was okay. It's just continuing the ongoing storyline between Homicide and Tom Lawler. Yeah, not a whole ton to add there. Yeah, continuing that storyline. Yeah, the, and also kind of like this, you know, friends of Mox kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> against, yeah, against uh, Team Filthy. Uh, we have a question from the Dark Soldier. He says, "We know Mox is Shooter's dad. Is Homicide like Eddie, the cool uncle to Shooter Umino?" I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just not that into it. Like <laughs> the, whole, I the know... whole family thing. Well, I, sort of like. To me, feels like an infantile. I don't know what the word is, but like, like it, like fan fiction kind of. Well, well, no, like it, it sort of like makes the these younger talents like children, like it mm. infantile infantilizes them. Is that what it's called? It's like these are grown ass men. These are not <laughs> people's sons. Like I get it. It's cool. You guys want to like make your, uh, and I'm not saying this to the question asker, but like I see people. They want to make their like quasi anime funny comic strips with you, you know, with Yuta Wheeler and with Shota Amino and Mox and the BCC and everything. I get it. It is kind of topical and funny. But at the end of the day, these guys aren't going to get over by being people's sons. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just <laughs> not, I'm not into the QT wrestler shit. <laughs> Uh, I did think that Umino looked really good in this match. Um, show a lot of confidence. I think he's been getting in better shape. I think he's getting to the point now where like I'm excited to see him back in Japan. I think he's ready to be back in the mix there. You know what that shit reminds me of? Hmm. When people talk about uh, Kota Ibushi, like he's not a grown ass man who's <laughs> capable of doing things. Yeah, like I, I do know. I know he got lost a couple times, and that's funny. But also, like he did, you know, he got lost in 
foreign countries where he doesn't speak the language. But, uh, you know, like, that's a huge part of it. But people are like, oh, he's so dumb. He's just this cute little guy. And it's like, nah, bro. Like, he's a fucking, he's a man. Like, he's a grown-ass <laughs> man. And people talk about him like he's this, like, little kid, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to the next match, we had Minoru Suzuki defeating a returning Wild Rhino Clark Connors who came out with Ken Shamrock in his corner. So, you know, a lot of Pancrase history there with Suzuki and Shamrock. And what better guy to have you in, in your corner than Ken Shamrock to, to face off against Minoru Suzuki? Um, again, I thought this match was better than the uh, hot sauce match the previous night. Um, still kind of the Suzuki U.S. formula, but I did th- think that Clark worked really hard, and um, he got Suzuki's respect um, at the end of the match up here, so it was good showing for the Wild Rhino. Yeah, I wouldn't quite uh, put this in, and not to say that you did, but I wouldn't quite put this in that same category as the hot sauce match, just because it did, to me, feel like Suzuki was a lot more motivated. Yeah, it definitely seemed like he was trying more in this match. And I feel like he gave a lot more and did some more creative things with Clark Connors, but not too far off. But then again, Suzuki's getting old, and it's hard to – I mean, it's been a while since we've seen him in a very competitive uh, environment in New Japan where he was working at the top of the card. So hard to say right now if he's still capable of doing what he was doing two or three years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think right now he's he's just being super smart worker – Doing what people want, the strikes, the faces, the pile driver, and taking very little bumps as possible. But I love seeing Clark Connors back. I loved the inclusion of Ken Shamrock and just kind of injecting that into the whole story was, I mean, if you know me and my history of like wrestling fandom, I, I fucking ate that up. I love that stuff. And, um, there's very few times ever in the history of New Japan where at the end of a match, win or loss, Minoru Suzuki paid any sort of respect to any competitor ever. So it was kind of a big deal that yeah. he gave that sign of respect to Clark Connors, even though he beat Clark Connors. Yeah. Even though he called and him a young boy. <laughs> he did call him a young boy, but he, you know, he didn't give him the, the carrying cross treatment. He treated him like a, like he was a serious threat. And uh, I thought this match for many people's probably the match of the night. If not the second best match of the night, yeah, it's definitely a candidate. Um, so then, following that, we had the Stardom SWA Undisputed World Women's Title match as a champion. Mayu Iwatani defended the title against AW's Kylan King. This, um, I did not like the backstage promo leading into this. It just uh, there's a lot going on there for everyone involved that they kind of need to clean that stuff up. But I love the idea of having backstage promos leading into the matches, even if it's like they don't do that in Japan. Maybe if they did, did just do that on the Western shows that that's pretty cool. I like that. So I hope they do continue to do them, but they need to clean it up. They, the audio needs to be better. The interviewer needs to be a little bit more precise. Just things just need to flow better. But um, the match was good. I liked the match a lot. So I did have that criticism about women's showcase in the opening preview match not being great. But 
the Mayu Kylan King match was very good. It, it wasn't like a blow away or anything like that, but for a sub 12 minute match, I felt like they went out there and told a good story. There was definitely some um, mistiming cues, some miscommunications. And I think that's somewhat to be expected when you have workers who are working the indies in America, primarily locking it up with Joshi wrestlers who rarely work Western um, style workers. And especially not doing it in Japan, but doing it over here, that's always going to be a little bit awkward and take some getting used to. But I thought that they told a compelling story. I thought that they were hard, had a good hard hitting match and the crowd seemed into it and the right person went over. I thought it was very good. Yeah, very good match. I was like three and a half on the match, which was very good for the time that they had. I thought Kylan King looked uh, pretty good and she was hanging with Mayu, I think. Uh, Kylan is somebody who could benefit greatly from doing a, a couple tours on Stardom, um, get some more experience there, um, kind of keep helping her improve. She looks like a monster compared to Mayu Iwatani, which just the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, she, I mean, we've already kind of in the past, not on this show, but just amongst ourselves talking, I think they have something with Kylan King. I think she's got a great look, physical presence, and I think she's a good talent. I think if they send her to Japan, she will be money like because she's huge compared to those girls and she's just very imposing. And sure. I think that that could help her game a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and a, I think you can make money too. with her there. Yeah. Unique look. Yeah. She would stand out big time and she's, she's a good worker and continues to improve. I mean, we saw her from her debut back in like, what was that? Like 2017 or 2018 at a local indie show here. I don't Florida. think that was her day. I don't think that was her debut. I think that was just like a, a well, they did a gimmick where she was the girl in the crowd and got called out, but I think she was already working. Yeah. She was still early in her career at the time. Yeah. So yeah, it's good to see how much she's improved and always fun seeing Mayu in action. And also a little preview, you know, we're going to see Mayu at historic crossover facing off against uh, Kyrie for the IWGP women's title. So after that uh, semi-main event of the evening, we had the New York Street Fight for the KOPW 2022 Trophy as the Dragon Shingo Takagi successfully defend the trophy against the headbanger El Phantasmo in 20 minutes and 59 seconds and just an absolutely wild and crazy street fight. All the plunder, all the tables, all the chairs, ladders, uh, crazy, crazy spots, ELP almost killing himself, jumping off this huge ladder on a Shingo through a table. Really crazy matchup. I thought this was so much fun. I loved that both guys came out in street fight gear and attire, and they had a very good match, and they didn't do the shit that I hate in these street fights where they come out and they go under the ring and they just start littering the ring with a bunch of weapons for absolutely no reason or set shit up so like everything they did in the match was very organic kind of the brian danielson theory of hardcore wrestling like they in they introduced the weapons organically into the match as they continued the match and um it was just really good it was very hard hitting very fun wild brawl they went like 20 minutes and uh this felt like a great fitting conclusion for the Shingo, ELP, Daddy, Drama, ongoing KOPW thing. And I don't know if it's going to continue past this, but 
Uh, this feels like if it is the end, it's a great fitting conclusion. I mean, if you think about it, Shingo's a former world champion, and ELP is a guy that was, you know, working in the juniors not too long ago. So it makes sense that ELP should be the guy that takes the loss here. But they did a lot to kind of establish him as like a serious player at heavyweight throughout the course of this program. So um, kind of a late contender for, you know, feud of the year you know, candidacy for our awards. Definitely. Yeah. We got lots of tons of uh daddy Shingo chance uh, throughout the match. Um, so yeah, really fun match. Like you mentioned um, really cool spots to, in very just kind of organic, innovative ways to, to kind of get to the weapon spots and use the weapons. And these guys took some crazy bumps. Like I mentioned that big um, thunder kiss splash off the top of the ladder, the very tip top of the ladder uh, through, through the table. The table. That was dope. Um, Shingo did a Death Valley driver off a top rope to ELP through a table. Um, so a lot of crazy spots um, to the end there. Uh, then goes a last of the dragon on two chairs, and Shingo got the big win. And even just the idea of seeing Shingo work in this type of environment showed his versatility as well as, I mean, we've heard the reports that ELP's done a lot of stuff like this in the past. I've never seen it, but... Um, you know, both guys worked really well in this environment. Very fun match for, for many people, probably match of the night. Yeah. Um, and then the main event of the evening, special tag team match, we had Switchblade, Jay White, and Rock Hard, Juice Robinson, defeating Eddie Kingston and Kazuchika Okada, 20 minutes and 15 seconds. Yeah, I mean, for a showcase preview tag team match, involving you know the the champion and the title challenger i thought that this was better than expected uh it had a good energy i think the fans were not only into them but really into juice as well as mostly kingston eddie's a star especially in new york and um very good flow to the match good pace good energy um and you you never really were sure who was going to pick up the win here especially since juice was on the opposite side and it seemed like he could easily be the pin eater but you know so could eddie so that was kind of always going to be the the issue there and i feel like the mind games from jay white leading into this match the the war of words with him and eddie were kind of what got under his skin and kind of what were his undoing for this match and why he ended up eating the the Blade Runner. Yeah, really good uh, preview tag here. Energetic match, you know, kind of similar energy to the previous night's main event where you have these big stars and, um, and the crowd was super into this. And, yeah, like you mentioned, it seemed like Juice potentially could take the pinfall, especially, you know, the AEW guys getting a lot of wins, um, but yeah, Jay needed momentum here after uh, being eliminated the previous night. Like you mentioned, Eddie Kingston was kind of he kind of was the undoing of him, you know, kind of fell apart and made the team fall apart there towards the end. And uh, Jay and Juice uh, get the the big win there, and I feel like we're gonna get a Jay Kingston singles match at some point because there have been a lot of promos, and then this tag match here in the previous nights. 10-man tag, it seems like they might be doing some kind of Jay Kingston match before the Dome, maybe. Possibly. I mean, that's what it seems like it might be, and whether that's strong or whether that's AEW or 
even New Japan, it's hard to say, but uh, I think all of that's potentially on the table. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from UD Dojo on Twitter. Is this, the la- is this the least exciting Wrestle Kingdom main event in years? And if Jay loses, what's next for him? I feel like he's done everything he can at NJPW at a young age and that he'd be huge in AEW or WWE. Um, it, it may very well be the least exciting, but then again, we've gotten away for several years now from your typical formula for Wrestle Kingdom where we've been working with multiple nights and convoluted title pictures, scenarios, and many tournaments. And yeah, and how many years did we do that? Three years? Yeah, well, it started uh, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So 2019, 2020, 2021. So, um, and I understand a lot of people liked that, but it, it was always the conundrum that we had. We're like, how do you make money off the big match on the second or did they always do two nights? It they was, never went to three, right? Well, this past year was, oh, that's right. Was the that's third right. night with the new Japan versus Noah thing. But, you know, I mean, like, think about it. They did Okada and Naito in 2020 in this really major match that was super meaningful. And they drew less the second night with that on top because nobody knew that that was for sure going to be the match on the second night because it was all contingent on the first night. That's always been the flaw of that whole entire deal, which I'm glad that they tried it and they did something different, you know, at the time. But eventually, they they should have done something different in the title picture as opposed to making the main event of both nights kind of, you know, all be around mini-man tournaments or whatever. Um, that being said, yeah, as far as, like, having a match announced way ahead of time and everyone knowing about it and it being, like, this really exciting thing, this is probably in recent memory, one of the least exciting title picture builds that we've had. I'm not saying it's bad, but you know, we are coming to the end of a cycle where we had all of these major wrestling kingdom matches that hadn't been done or that were being built to for years and years and years. There was like a decade, almost 12 years of that. And that kind of has all been played out. Most of those matches have already happened and there's very few options in that way concerning the old guard. I think we're moving into a new phase at the end of this Wrestle Kingdom where we have new talent coming in. We've got new stars coming back. We've got new doors and opportunities down the line for Tokyo Dome shows to where it's not going to be repetition of things we've seen in the past. And this match actually is probably the last really big, meaningful match that could occur from that previous iteration. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we've never we've never had these two guys in the Tokyo Dome for the title before. Um but as far as like sending Jay White to WWE, here's the problem. I'm all for guys going away and then coming back and then going away because that used to be fun and that used to be exciting. That used to be how wrestling operated. The only problem is that's not how it works. If you go to WWE nowadays, you go to WWE 
and then you stay there forever and then they <laughs> fuck you up and they fuck your character up and then you, you you're only big when you come back from being there because they either fired your ass or you know people are so happy to hope that maybe you're going to be rehabbed by leaving the company altogether and they hoard talent for years and years and decades at a time so it's like um i don't know can you imagine like sure do i think he's a wwe guy in a certain sense because he's got a good look and he wrestles a slower pace and uh he's all about character work and he has a good promo sure do i have any faith that they would make money with him and actually have him succeed no because look at every single guy that has ever come from WWE from New Japan in the past decade and how they fucked them up. All of them. Every single one of them. So, I mean, that sounds shitty. That sounds so bad. Yeah, and clearly they're only focused on pushing Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. So, right. <laughs> yeah, there would be, there'd be no hope for, for Jay White over there. I mean, like, would it be cool at first when he first got there, kind of like how it was with Cody? Maybe. But long term, do I see them like, do I trust Triple H as a booker to, you know, do something compelling with Jay White? Do I think he gets Jay White? I don't think so. Yeah, I think a lot. But. And then even like if he goes to AEW, I'll tell you this, like, are there some cool things he could do there? Sure. But. They haven't even proven them, and I, this is not. I'm, we're not the anti AW podcast, but like they haven't proven that they've been able to handle most of the talent that they've gotten in the past year, because they don't have enough TV time and and opportunity to really showcase and utilize those guys in the the right proper way. Anyways, think about how many guys are top stars that are just at home sidelined all the time in recent months. There's a lot of them. Right, there's people. a lot of people wondering, like, where are they? Why aren't they being used? What you know, there's they have an embarrassment of riches of talent there, to where they don't even know what to do with most of them. Right, you got guys begging for TV time, and they're continuing to sign more and more people. So it's getting harder and harder to to get you know to share that three hours with that huge, super talented roster. So you add a, another guy like Jay White in there, it's going to be very hard to get him in the mix there and keep using him and everybody else. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I, I think New Japan is the place for Jay. I mean, there's still a lot he hasn't done. He hasn't won a G1. He hasn't won a New Japan Cup. Um, you know, there's other stuff for him to do that he can still do in New Japan to uh, cement his legacy there. Yeah, and I mean, in a perfect world, do I would I love for guys to circulate amongst these various territories and companies? Yes. It's just not that realistic. Yeah. And also... I can guarantee you, if he goes to WWE, I'm not going to watch him. I don't watch that shit. Same here. <laughs> um, so that wraps up the 44th Street uh, reviews. Real quick, we had the uh, conclusion of the Autumn Action Tour for New Japan Strong on Saturday, October 29th. Uh, show opened up. We had the Trust Buster, Arya Davari defeating uh, Kevin Knight. 8 minutes, 19 seconds. We had Alex Zane and Mystico defeating Blake Christian and Mascar Dorada. 10 minutes and 9 seconds. And then the big main event, Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii, defeats Filthy Tom Lawler. 15 minutes and 31 seconds. One of the better 
New Japan Strong shows in quite a while, especially the top two matches. That tag team match was awesome. Mystico, Zane, Christian, Mascara, Dorada. Um, I know that like the four-way at the night before was really cool and flippy and fun, but seeing these guys do it versus those, you know, and I know there's some great talent in that first match, but like compared to that group of guys, including the guys from House of Glory, it's like whole different class level of like talent and ability. Like, bro, Mascara Dorada and Mystico, I, I'm taking nothing away from Alexander and Blake Christian because they're both in, stellar as well. But like Mystico and Mascara Dorada, when they're on, they're on and They were on here. This was so cool. Yeah, dude, Mystico and Arata had such great chemistry and these super cool lucha spots and these big, like, high-flying moves. Like, it was super awesome. And, again, I really hope that we see potentially both of these teams um, in Super Junior Tag League. And then the main event, Tom Lawler versus Tomohiro Ishii. Um, Tom Lawler pinned Tomohiro Ishii 15 minutes and 31 seconds, and uh, that was pretty crazy. No, Ishii pinned Lawler. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm actually like literally looking at a, a results thing here. And I've, I literally, as I was saying that, I was like, I thought Ishii hit him with a clothesline. Yeah, and Ishii, pinned him. Ishii hit him with this nasty lariat that had Tom do this crazy flip bump land right on his head. Yeah, and yeah Tom him. landed on his head. And I had to wonder, like, did he plan that? Like, was he like trying to put this guy over by like doing a really dangerous inside out bump like that? Maybe to make, make the Lariat look dangerous because I can't remember the last time Ishii's pinned somebody just off a of Lariat. Yeah, this match was awesome. Like, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And obviously, Tom Lawler's a big fan of Ishii and he really respects him. And Ishii was super motivated here. And there's a reason why we, we named Ishii Wrestler of the Month this, this month because he had some awesome matches and this was one of them. Yeah. Uh, we had a question from Oscar Rooney. Top three matches and top three moments from the shows you watched. Oh, uh, that's gonna be, well, I guess number one for me would be Narita Ishii. Um, number two, uh, man, we watched so many shows. Yeah. Number, two, number two would probably be, I don't know, um, Zack Sabre Jr. versus... Um, David Finley, I'm guessing. Probably, yeah. And then number three would prop would be like either Shingo and um Yeah, it'd probably be Shingo and ELP in the street fight, or it might be Ishii versus Filthy. Yeah, honestly, I think I would I would take Ishii and Filthy over the Saber match and then yeah, throw in the uh, KOPW match. I could probably do that too, actually. <laughs> Um, top three moments. Um, I mean, John Moxley showing up. John Moxley showing up was really cool. Kiji Muto coming out, spraying the mist was really cool. Oh, and you know, we didn't even mention like Great Ocon came out the next night and had his face all bandaged and wrapped up with the green, with green on it, like selling the injury. Like, yes, dude, so this funny. man's hilarious. He ended up pulling it off, letting the people know like he's actually unaffected, but he was really selling the injury at first. It was so funny. Yeah. Um, also, uh, those... Ken Shamrock um, showing up. 
yeah, those probably been my three moments. I pop for all three of those. Uh, so next week we have a new tour starting for New Japan Strong. The New Japan Showdown will start on Saturday, November fifth. Main event: Hiroshi Tanahashi will face off against Gabriel Kidd. Fallen Angel Christopher Daniels will take on our good friend Rocky Romero, and then we will have a number one contenders match for the Strong Openweight Tag Team Titles: Straight Dog Army of Mysterioso and Barrett Brown, TMDK, Shane Hayes, and Bad Dude Tito. The LA Dojo's Kevin Knight and the DKC and Team Filthy's West Coast Wrecking Crew. So, winner will face the Motor City Machine Guns on a future date. Nice. Well, let's kick it to the news here. Uh, first order business, Yuya Uemura is potentially done with NJPW. We don't have that many details, but there are talks that, you know, last week we we had some people mentioning it. And we were just assuming it was some sort of weird mistranslation or misunderstanding. But, um, yeah, there's reports out there that he may no longer be signed with or connected to New Japan Pro Wrestling, <laughs> which would be crazy. Like, he's a young lion on excursion and decided to stay in America. He liked it so <laughs> much. Yeah, I've, I've heard recently, like in the last day or so, that it's a thing where the, the Daniels angle – was a way to write him off a of strong so he could just do other US stuff. So do more impact and do more indie bookings and kind of continue his excursion outside of New Japan. That makes more sense to me. Um uh, personally, like it, it would just seem so weird for somebody to have gone through the arduous and rigorous process of the young lion process and then as soon as you get to America just squander it, you know? Right, but, especially since there was, it's not like a Fredericks thing where there was no write-off. Like, there was a angle that, you know, an injury angle to take you more off TV. Well, my concern was that it was a write-off because he was leaving, and they're like, oh, we better get rid of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did have a question here, Rambo and Slam Pig said, to follow up on my question from last week about Yui Mora, a more general question. Does NJPW take too long to put their young lines into meaningful places on the main roster? Do they lose out on talent who don't wait due to the number of options they have outside of the system? Yeah, no, we've, we've kind of talked about this, especially with Obari's comments about wanting to speed up the, the process. Um, I do think there are some, um, some scenarios where some guys are gone longer and can be probably brought back sooner. I feel like a lot of the LA Dojo guys like Fredericks, Coughlin, Connors, Gabriel Kidd, like the, that group of guys, I feel like those guys probably were a little bit ready more than when they were using them. I feel like those guys could have been plugged in a little bit sooner. Um, Here, here's two things I'll say about it. Number one, um, in the past, they haven't really lost that many guys to outside opportunities that they actually wanted to keep or, or use. They don't really have a long history of that, to be honest. And, um, you know, like there, there's just, that's just the way it is. Like, you know, um, the, the, the way they slot them is based on what the company sees for those talents. So some guys like Hiromu get shot to the top. Some guys come in like Watto, you know, it really just depends on the, what the company's preference is. Uh, do I think that, like, for instance, with Sho and Yo, are they an example uh, or even evil? 
are those guys that they maybe could have done something quicker with and should have? Definitely. And that brings me to my second point. A lot of people are talking about, oh, they need to expedite their process. And maybe there is something to that. But at no point in history have we had this many young lions in this many various different systems ready to go. And you kind of look at the no gay dojo, the LA dojo, and now potentially Fale's dojo. This is a whole new problem. The problem isn't about speeding up the process. The, the problem is how do we create enough opportunities to actually use these guys? And I think that's where we're starting to run into frustration and issues and the Carl Frederick stuff that happened. And it's uncharted territory. They've never had these systems. They've never had to deal with this. And what that means is in order for them to create space for those guys, it means they're going to have to get rid of guys that are already on the roster. And it, and then, you know, if, if what you're lobbying for is for them to churn out stars quicker, that means you have to get rid of older stars as well right. to make space for them. And you're talking about more turnover in a large company that's not really known for having that much turnover. It, I don't think that um, I don't think that the 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 time is the issue. I think it's the roster spots that are the issue. That's a great point. Cause yeah, you still have you know your, your Makabe's and your, your Hanmas, your Gotos, your um, Ishis that are you know Suzuki's. Those guys that are still there and going and taking roster spots. Well, Jeremy, let's say you do do that, right? Okay, you get rid of most of the dads, or you you move them to part-time status or freelance status, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say you bring up all the lines they got right now. There's a lot of them. Okay, cool. But people are still, but like Obari and then other people who are agreeing with him want them to still have the dojo system and make it quicker and get guys on the roster quicker. So now we just filled like eight spots. Now we got a whole nother crop of guys that are coming up and they're coming up quicker. The the, the whole system is kind of broken at that point. And then it's like, even if you did do that, it's like, well, how are you going to make space for those guys? And the guys after them, the guys after them, there was a reason why it was taking so long. And part of the reason why it took so long is because new Japan wasn't always readily able to bring in, that the, the the influx uh the influx of uh lines that they were training all the time you know that like that's something i don't think a lot of people are taking in consideration and the only way that they would be able to do that is either get rid of guys or create more opportunity which mean but like you know they're not like aw and, and wwe where it's a tv based model so you can just create another show right you know like what are you gonna do add more dates cut people's time, cut people off the tour. Like, what do you do? Right. More, more multi-mans. <laughs> I don't know. And maybe the answer to it is, well, what does startup do? And to be honest, I don't know. Cause I don't watch Joshi. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying that negatively. Maybe that's a, a conversation that we should have with those fans. Cause I don't know what they do in their systems different than what new Japan does. Right. Um, next bit of news, NJPW, Tamashi, it's not Tamahashi, it's Tamashi or Tamashai. Uh, I don't know the pronunciation. Um, but the first inaugural show is November 11th, 2022, at Christchurch, New Zealand. And a couple of the announced matches we have Kenta versus Andrew Villalobos, 
uh, Aaron Solo and Tony Cozina versus the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale and uh, Taiji Shimori, and Jeff Cobb taking on Michael Richards. Um, the second night will be 11-13 in Sydney, Australia. We have Unsocial Jordan versus um, Jordan Allen Wright, so Jordan versus Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, Matt Diamond and Robbie Eagles versus Jake Taylor and Richard uh, Mulu. Jeff Cobb versus Carter Dreams. Matt Rogers and the Velocities taking on the Bull Club team of Jack Bonza, Badluck Fale, and Kenta. If you guys don't know, Jack Bonza recently joined the Bullet Club over in um, uh, Australia. Aaron Solo versus Liebert Lucci, Caveman Ugg, and Ricky South versus Andrew Villalobos and Michael Richards, and Taiji Shimori versus Mick Moretti. In other news, PW Insider reports that Juice Robinson has signed a deal with AEW. So looks like we're going to have Bullet Club in every single major company. <laughs> Just WWE, like Jay wanted. <laughs> yeah, WWE, Impact, AEW, New Japan, all of them. All of them. <laughs> um, the signed or the special limited Wrestle Kingdom tour package is now available. This is a four-day ultimate bundle. Tickets for Wrestle Kingdom 17 and New Year's Dash, as well as a special fan lunch and a, a talk event and much, much more. Spots are very limited. So if you're interested, book now. I actually looked at the dates on these. and um, I've always been told to like steer away from the package deals, but it didn't seem like the worst deal in the world. I was looking at, you know, so stuff bad. And I was like, uh, you know, maybe I could swing this. I don't know. Hmm. Especially since it's really hard in the past, it's been really hard to get tickets for both. New Year's Dash as well as Wrestle Kingdom and right. the package where you can get into New Year's Dash might make it worth it. Plus, it takes care of your food and your lodging and all that. Just does, the only thing is your airfare is not taken care of. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's probably going to sell out. So definitely, if you're interested, you know, take advantage. Uh, Fantastica Mania Tour has been announced to return from February 22nd to February 28th, a one-week tour with CMLL talent for the first time since 2020. Due to the pandemic, the last two shows will be at Cork and Hall. Yes. She goes, Fantastic oh, go Mania ahead. back, baby. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> Shingo Takagi worked for Pro Wrestling Australia on 1021 in Sydney, Australia, before a sellout crowd of 550 fans. He beat Jack Bonza via DQ due to inter- interference from Bad Luck Fale. Folly then announced Bonza was part of the Bullet Club now, so there you go. Royce Isaacs noted that even though New Japan is taking care of him, he's uh, part of Team Filthy Unstrung, that he's not under contract, and he is still a free agent. But he said New Japan was always his goal, so I'm guessing that was something that was noted recently in either interview or podcast some sort. Yeah. And then we have some Noah news. So uh, Noah Ariaki Triumph this past week, 1030 the return pro wrestling love forever three triumph um we had the match between muto and uh naomichi marifuji as well as yoshiki inamura as they defeated the team of tanahashi togi makabe and tomaki hanma as well as takashi sugiora and satoshi kojima they defended the global honored championship tag team title crown as they defeated kano and yuto or um which nakajima is it Yoshiko or yeah, I don't know. I was gonna say Yuto Nakajima, but that's not right. (laughs) 
And uh, it was during that show that they announced that WWE Shinsuke Nakamura will face the Great Muta at Noah the New Year on January 1st, 2023. We did have a question here about this. Hawaiian Punch BV said, with Shinsuke Nakamura competing on Noah New Year's Eve show, is a Wrestle Kingdom appearance likely or not? Uh, we were talking about that earlier. Like I was saying, I, I think it's unlikely just due to the political matters of New Japan being an AEW partner um, and New Japan having an American presence, whereas Noah does not have either of those things, really. Um, so I think it's very unlikely, but like I said, never say never. It's a one-off talent loan. I don't see it to be that unlikely, to be honest with you. I mean, if you think about it... Um... WWE had Liger on the same night that New Japan was doing a co-branded show in New York several years back with Ring of Honor in the same city, and that seemed super unlikely. Now, this isn't a perfect one-for-one comparison, but is it possible that they could get a date on the guy for a talent loan? I don't see why not, especially since he's already working Noah, which also seems just in and of itself so super unlikely that it actually, to me, makes it more likely that he would work New Japan than if he wasn't working the Noah show at all. Uh, again, do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. But could it happen? I, I say sure. Why not? Yeah. Especially if especially if WWE's trying to make good and play nice, quote-unquote. They might just do give him, you know, for the night to New Japan, let him do the show. And then maybe that is their way to potentially weasel their way into, you know, the negotiating table again. Right. Get the NXT Japan project going. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, I would say we got a lot of questions here, but I don't know. How are we doing on time? Should we yeah. kick these next week? Yeah, I'll kick them the next week, especially because I feel like the next couple of weeks are going to be pretty light leading into historic crossover. Yeah, we're kind of over on time here. So let's jump to recommended match of the week and get out of here. Nice. So um, my excursion match of the week this week was the Impact uh, show where the Motor City Machine Guns defeated Aussie Open from September 22nd. Jeremy, I got to tell you, I don't know if you saw this. It was fine. It was nothing really special, though. And, you know, it's kind of becoming a trend almost anytime we review one of these Impact television matches. They just don't seem to really stand out very much. They look good on paper. They're accessible on New Japan World, but they usually fall well underneath the expectations as opposed to if they'd happen on, say, Impact Pay-Per-View. The Impact Pay-Per-View uh, excursion matches usually do deliver, but this one, probably three and a half. Very fun. It was like 13 minutes. Motor City Machine Guns picked up a well-deserved win and went on to challenge for the titles, which I assume since they're not they're not Impact champions, right? No, not yet. Oh, did they already challenge for the titles? No, I think it's coming up. I think that the winner was going to go to Bound for Glory, I believe. It is, but I thought that those, I thought Taven and, um, it's, uh, Taven and what's his face, right? Bennett. They, Taven and Bennett lost the titles to somebody. I don't think it was the Machine Guns. Okay, because they were saying that that's who was going to, they were going to challenge for the titles at Bound for Glory. And I was like, aren't they signed to AEW? So I just assumed this shit already happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is kind of interesting, though, that Aussie Open, dropped the never open weight tag team titles to, or I'm sorry, the strong open weight tag team titles to Mercy machine guns and suffered a single, you know, a, a straight up tag team loss to them on, um, 
television over an impact. So it kind of feels like right now the machine guns sort of have their number. Yeah. Yeah. That. But I, I, but I would say this was not a recommended match personally from, from, for our awards, for the level that we kind of, you know, hold that award level up to still an enjoyable 13 minute TV match. Yeah. Uh, then for the recommended match of the week, we had um, Fujinami, Yamada, Koshinaka, Fujiwara, and Kingo Kimura versus Hiro Saito, uh, Kobayashi, Super Strong Machine, Masa Saito, and Ricky Chosu from uh, September 12th, 88. Um, this was a big, the, the true um, Josh Smith special elimination matchup here, and uh, you know, you watch this match, and you you see the complete difference compared to like the match that happened on the night before. You had a match full of all big stars. There's no guys that were really like on the on that yo level. I feel like all the guys were super over, um, and I just felt like the match was constructed a lot differently. I feel like nowadays the elimination match is just about the eliminations, really. Like let's get these quick eliminations, whereas here. They were actually wrestling. They were telling stories, and I felt like they built better to the eliminations here, and it made every elimination matter. When you compare it to like the Halloween match, like there are all these quick eliminations, like boom, 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 like Yo's gone, Red's gone, Team Filthy's like West Coast Wrestling was gone. Like you had all these quick eliminations, they didn't really sink in, they didn't really didn't mean much, and I felt like here all the eliminations were timed out well, where like they they mattered, they meant something, they changed the flow. Of the match, um, I felt like the crowd popped big for eliminations. Like it just felt like a completely um, bigger deal. We even got some color uh, towards the end of the match here. Uh, but yeah, overall a really fun matchup. And you, if you want to see kind of what the elimination matchup, what it meant back in the day, and why it's quite not the same nowadays, I would definitely recommend checking this out couple things um they did the eliminations back then to where you didn't have to go over the top rope you literally just if you ended up outside of the ring whether it was under the ropes or through the middle rope that was an elimination which sounds in theory kind of lame it's like oh it's not over the top rope it's not as dangerous but it actually eliminated the ability for guys to go outside and brawl or do anything it was like and it actually added to a sense of danger because it's like oh shit, if I go outside of the ring, I lose. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I felt like in this match, they did a good job of utilizing that while also not making it feel cheap. Like there's times in the New Japan elimination matches now where someone gets thrown over the top row. I was like, oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) But in this one, it was like people were getting like thrown out and it was like, like it felt impactful. And also the work rate, like the, the speed of the tags and the work that they were doing like I know this is from 88 so it's like over 30 years but it was like a lot faster and more high action Yeah, there was a lot of great moves like in this match. Well, I mean, you look at the the list of talent, you got Liger in there, you got Kuniaki Kobayashi, he's like one of the greatest like juniors of New Japan history. Um obviously, you know, Fujinami is just one of the best, Ricky Choshu, I mean, uh Fujiwara, like this was a who's who. It was a really really great list of guys that were in there. And the like you went in there blind without the backstory and I won't elaborate, but this was something that I've been building for years and years and years. And there's just a lot of heat between these two camps going back to like 83 essentially. And 
the thing I love at the end is you have the IWGP champion um, in Fujinami, and he's looking to get all this revenge, and it comes down to him and Choshu, and he gets Choshu out of there, and that's just him and Saito, and he's bloodied Saito, and he's just, but like, you know, and that's the thing, too, is like there's a lot of good technical wrestling, a lot of good high-flying wrestling, a lot of good cheating. There's all sorts of stuff, but at the end, it becomes a bloodbath, and he's just battering Saito, and Saito's just getting mauled and destroyed by this enraged world champion in his prime and then at the last second out of nowhere it's just a fucking shocker Saito moves out of the way Fujinami gets eliminated Dude, Fujinami was pissed he couldn't believe Fuji- it he- Fujinami's so pissed and Sa- Saito's just covered in blood and he's just slumped in the corner and he's got his one hand yeah, dude, Fujinami was shook. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, if you guys haven't seen this, um, I think that this holds up with pretty much any of the best Survivor Series matches that are out there. Yeah. All right, what you got for our excursion match of the week? For excursion match of the week, uh, well, you know, I don't know, Jeremy, because I was going to say Shingo and Jack Bonza. But I didn't know it ended on a DQ. <laughs> I actually, to be honest with you, I couldn't find anything about this online. And I thought, well, you know, it's from down under. It's a big show. I heard the PWA Black Label show or Black Label show was like, you know, pretty good. Maybe we should check that out. So I'll leave it up to you because we have access to that show. Maybe, maybe we check out Jack Bonza and, and Shingo, especially considering how important that might potentially be with Jack Bonds joining Bull Club, or I was also kind of torn thinking maybe the Tanahashi Muto six-man tag from Noah might be worth checking out. That one has a lot of good reviews, and maybe it's getting overblown, but it's looking like a in that four-ish range. So I'll leave it up to you. You know what? Let's do the Jack Bonds uh, just because, you know, we do have access to the match, and I do want to check that show out. So let, let's go ahead and just check out the Jack Bonds match, and then we can do the... Um, Suzuki or the uh, Muto match in, in the next week. All right. And uh, Jeremy, what do you got for me for recommended match of the week? Recommended match of the week. We're going back to Power Struggle 2012 for the IWGP Intercontinental title Shinsuke Nakamura versus Carl Anderson. So, two guys that are. Why are you uh, making me watch a Carl Anderson match as the <laughs> recommended match of the week? Because this moment was actually good. Um, Bro, I don't. Uh, all right, I'll watch it, but it seems kind of fucked up right now. It's tw- <laughs> it's 2012 Carl Anderson, and it's 2012 Nakamura. Okay, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And it's two guys in the news right now. It's you know traditionally the power struggle season, so let's go with it. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Next, we'll be back to review um, the two Osaka shows. And, yeah, we'll read those next week. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuitbooks.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you're going to go on social media on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. Follow the network at SocialSuitBlex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash social suplex. Also, find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Instagram at social suplex. On Reddit and the Pro Black Guy, Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, jeremy at social suplex.com. 
check out all the other shows here on the Social Suit Bucks Podcast Network. One of your radio hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide Podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.